We've got a really nice looking cup of coffee here, so hopefully, hopefully we're both good to go. It, I love coffee. It's my second favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next episode of the podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. This episode, as always, was brought to you by 420 Australia, your premier store for lifestyle and apparel, as well as Organic Gardening Solutions, your number one stop for all things organic. And finally, C-Tier Now, you know them, best in the game, germination and satisfaction guarantee, not just the former. On this episode, we're speaking to the rare and mythical gooey breeder. La, 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 la. Heavily requested. Lots of info. Here we go. Alrighty, so a big thank you and welcome to the infamous gooey breeder. How you doing? Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to visit with you today. So, we're going to do a little curveball first question. What are you currently smoking on? Uh, actually, Mom Gooey. <laughs> I just loaded a fresh bowl. Is that like just typical or is it you've been experimenting a little bit lately? Oh, no, 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 no. It, uh, the, way that I, <clears throat> the way that I smoke is I <clears> – this is really hard to explain, but – I always use gooey as a reset because gooey for me is really strong. It's always been strong. The plant's going to be uh, 35 years old um, this year. And so uh, it's a good gauge because then I can go off of uh, that onto the the test plants that I do because with so much, I need to have a constant that I can say, okay, I like this, because I like everything about Mom Gooey, and uh, that's why it's such a popular strain. Wow. I guess before we jump into kind of the, the vault of Mom Gooey, let's go all the way back to the start. What was it like when you first experienced cannabis, and what was the cannabis scene like back then? Oh, it- <laughs> I, I was introduced to it at a very tender young age, and uh, I still remember that day uh, very vividly. A <clears throat> um, friend of mine had saw his older brother doing it and laugh and enjoy himself and have a good time. <clears throat> so he thought it would be um, kind of fun to bring it over to us, you know, my friend of mine that I hung out with all the time. And this guy, we were just called kind of cohorts. And we went ahead and <clears throat> we took a, one of the old style plastic bubble pipes and, <laughs> and some matches and some of this stuff. And he, he had had quite a little bit for, I couldn't believe he took what he took, but I didn't know, I didn't know that much about it. Uh, but it seemed like a lot to me. Anyway, we put that in that plastic bubble pipe and smoked it. It didn't really seem like there was doing that much, but uh, we were at the top of this huge grassy hill, and I remember just <laughs> running up and down that hill, just get, go up to the top and roll down, laughing and laughing. And then later on, we kind of understood that that was that was the initial feelings. But uh, then I, I I was an Air Force brat, so I moved around a lot, and 
at that point, I realized that, you know, I kind of needed to make sure I could have it all the time. And gosh darn, this stuff has seeds. When I was 13, I thought, hey, you know what? This has seeds. Why am I looking for it? Or why don't I just grow it? Because I come from a agricultural-based family out here in California. And so we uh, went ahead and I would get seed and mix it in. And by the time I was uh, 15 or so, I was doing pretty good. I was living in Nebraska at that point, and it grows wild there. So I figured out real quick that you could just kind of hollow out a patch of the wild, throw in the good seed, and just let it go through nature's course and come back at the end of the year, and it was there. It was seeded with the hemp, but who cares? You know, it was better than nothing. So, And then moving to England after that, I had two years of not being able to grow anything. <laughs> Because you can't grow much in England outside. Uh, back then, uh, it, in the 70s, uh, it, it seemed to rain half of the time, half of the year. It was it was rainy and dreary, and I didn't have much luck. So, but there were some integral parts before then that made up gooey, and you know we can we can touch on that if you want. I don't I, I don't care. But that's those are the, those are the basic you know beginnings, uh, and it, within that are the beginnings of the gooey mom that is so popular. So, as in, you were collecting the seed stock over that time period. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know what? What the fun? Here's the fun part about the gooey that I I've told this over the years. You can go on to Breed Bay, I'm sure, and find it <clears throat> at other places too. But, um. I, there was a short interim time uh, before going over to England where I was in New York uh, City. And I was there for a long enough period of time that I was able to acquire some of the local fare. And during that time, the founder of High Times had smuggled in this gold Colombian pot that nobody had ever seen gold pot before. And they were having a real hard time getting rid of that so they developed this magazine called high times to help sell that pot and one of the centerfolds of the one of the very first issue or or the subsequent second issue was this huge room full of this 700 pounds of pot with a girl leg on top of it smoking a joint i got some of that pot from um some friends of mine in, in New York at that time who were started seeing this and thought, well, okay, this is interesting and good. And so that, that turned into the Colombian gold portion of mom gooey that started the whole thing. Because then uh, soon after that, the golds became popular and I had Acapulco gold and that went into it too. And those are the seeds that I tried to take over to England. And I had to hold on to what I had until I got back to the United States and to California because that's where I came back to and uh, it started developing gooey at that point. Uh, it went through other additions and it went from there. So when the Colombian gold first hit New York, it, it, it was like no one wanted it, I guess, because you were saying they were having trouble yeah, moving. Well, no, but yeah, uh, they'd never seen gold pot before. That was odd. And, 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 and they were having a hard time with, you know, dealers didn't want to see that everything was brown back then what, what's this gold stuff what's what's been what's been done to it what's you know 
it was just a it just wasn't turning over and so they developed high times magazine just for that reason yeah wow yeah people can look that up and it's all true and uh that's the very beginnings of gooey you know very beginnings of the gooey mom and that's and people really love her i mean i i have to tell you that i get more requests and compliments on that one plant than virtually anything else i've done and that's hard hard to say because there's some really pretty stuff that folks have really enjoyed too but nothing gets in like mom so <laughs> so that's what's and it's a very important thing because those are all old school genetics they're all made up from stuff that just doesn't exist anymore so that's what makes it so important so when you started to make gooey was it like an intentional transition into breeding or were you just kind of making seed for yourself Oh, yeah, I was just making seed for myself. But then, of course, you know, I started to get a little bit more educated and I started to understand more that manipulation was within my grasp. And when I did find something that was uh, out of the ordinary or something that really turned me on that I wanted to uh, add, I, I realized that I could, you know, build it in. And I'm very blessed to be able to uh, be very picky <laughs> and, and you know and so I learned you know that I could focus in on what I needed and and find how to find it and Luther Burbank really helped along with that Luther said you know choose one trait and you know shun all the rest and that's basically how I breed when you did first start making gooey and you kind of started to get more a bit cluey about what you were doing around that time period, did you know of anyone else who was trying to do it on that same level? Like, like trying to take it real seriously, like were there are any other breeders or were you just kind of really isolated? You know, I, I, in my own little world, as far as that goes, I, I, at, I'll tell you, this is a funny story. I, I had a point where I was in Arizona and I had two plants. I can only have two plants in this one spot. And it was really hairy in Arizona, and I was really scared. And it, it, due to the heat and all that stuff, it's very challenging and stuff. So I ended up losing one of the plants, and, and, and it turned out that it was probably the male that I lost. So I only ended up with this female. And I kept waiting for seeds to, you know, come about because I was just used to seeded pod, didn't know anything about any of that. And all, all, this thing just got, kept going and going and going. And, and finally, when I picked it, it was just this beautiful seedless plant that I just thought, wow, this is very unusual and there's no seed. But I like this a lot better. What happened? And so then I, I thought I invented Sensimia. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, what a great thing. Then I did some more reading, of course, and then found out that, no, this has been going on for thousands of years. The Chinese had done it. And so so anyway, that after that humbling little revelation, I, <laughs> I went ahead and built on that and said, well, this is really good. And right about that year or the next year after that, since me, it became the really big thing. It was it was the thing, and it took off from there. 
<clears throat> that was right at the very beginnings of when the seed banks were starting to advertise and, and get out there uh, from the Dutch. It was right in that time. So, Did this revelation hamper your breeding efforts at all? Because like on the one hand, you're making gooey. Oh no, no! I have more seed. I just, I just found out what it was that I had done, you know, and and so now I now I could do it intentionally, you know. Now I knew how to control it, and you know, it's just like any other learning process. It, it it's a simple thing, you know what I mean? It, in in retrospect, you know, duh, but when you're 15 and you're the only one who's growing it intentionally. It's, 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 it's a hmm, really interesting thing that really started me. My, my, my father looked at me once and he said, you know, why is it you want to know so much about pot? Why, you know, can't you do something, you know, more constructive? And <laughs> nowadays I bring that up to him now. And I said, <laughs> you know why? <laughs> Here's why. <laughs> All paying off. <laughs> He gets it now, but it, you know that's it. You know you're you you're drawn to what you're drawn to, and this happens to be what God put me here for, and so I'm trying to do the best I can. Yeah, I mean the work speaks for itself, right? If, if we go back, if we go back to the mum gooey for a moment, though, uh huh. How did you get the other parts of the puzzle? There's the uh, the tie and the the Maui. We got a lot of questions about the Maui. You know, tell us because you say you got it from the source. Like, what's the backstory behind that? Yeah, you know, well, here's the deal. I've known a lot of, of, of friends in the islands for all my life. And I was turned on to this gentleman who, in 1972, developed what he called Wowie on Maui. And um, that was a beautiful strain, um, really definitely Asian genetics, um, all, but with a twist and he he never really could tell me exactly what that other twist was but in it, it's it was obviously now and in, in looking back at it uh it was obviously either a pakistan that had been brought onto the islands or it was an afghan um one of those two um i lean more towards the pakistani just by the way mom stacks from it uh, because that's a lot of where she picked that up from um, when most of the genetics that are in gooey are, are heavily sativa and they were tall and you know sativas in stature and stuff and then after the Maori was introduced uh, because that was the second to the last component that was introduced into that um, um, with the um, tie being the last. <clears throat> um, that really kind of set the structure in a very tight and completely changed way from what I was used to for the years before when breeding in. Um, with the, you know with the Colombians and 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 that so um, I really I, I I saw the change after that. I really like the change because it didn't take away from the you know the, the central point but it just made made the plant so much easier to grow uh, it quickened it up uh, gooey's gooey's got a six and a, from six and a half weeks on 
uh, it can be picked, and uh, it, it varies a lot in the medicine that it produces because um, you get radically different stages. And I, this is one of the benefits of this plant because uh, early on, it, it's good for some ailments, and late stages, it's good for completely different stuff, and it's all from the same plant. And I, I, I actually need to outline that more online and kind of help people to understand that. Um, it's been lauded as a, a, a wonderful strain for nerve pain um, and, and for migraines, things like that, that are, are I, I really look forward to uh, expanding on that knowledge out there and getting folks uh, tuned into that so that they can help themselves really excited that uh, today I just got a hold of some very old uh, pure gooey seed that I had made prior to, let's see, I think these are 2009 and that uh, I have two different stages. So I, I get to go back and I get to revisit it because I've gone through all of my stocks and uh good old north star they had them you know in their cold keeping uh uh spots to uh keep them fresh and so he's returned those to me so i'm looking forward to being able to offer people uh the old school pure gooey seed which everybody just absolutely loves I can uh, give you the, the description of that. There are the stages of GUI that are um, using the old S1 uh, skunk one as the uh, cubing mechanism. Why did you choose to use the skunk as the Mao? You know, I, I, I did that because the skunk one contained some of those uh, um, sativa uh, strains, the same exact ones. Um, it, when that when when skunk one was made, it, it's not a it's it's not an indica. It's a combination of uh, of several things, and, and Acapulco Gold is one of them. So I wanted to use that as a as a you know reinforcer for that, and uh, that just seemed to be like the best choice because when you know that um, these wildly crazy genetics pools that are out there now that you if you can trust something even back then i realized you know i need to trust this and that was the best place and i've grown that strain for years before i i because i just enjoyed it and i thought no this is going to be good because i know both strains very well so that i can separate what i'm looking for and still you know, keep the components that I think are beneficial, and that's exactly how it works. So it says online that the stock you used was from SSC. We've spoken about them a lot on the show, yeah. And a lot of the breeders regard them really highly. Do Do you feel the same? Oh yeah, SSSC was a really, really good company. I really, really say that they were really professional. Uh, I I enjoyed everything. You know, early on, I, I was into them when they first started to go ahead and, and uh, sell in high times, and uh, uh, I was all over it. And I found that they were excellent, 
excellent in the quality that they put out, and you could trust it uh, to some extent. There were some things that that were, you know, in retrospect, that I would go, yeah, yeah maybe, you know. Uh, but overall, I would just say, you know, kudos, thank you very much. They benefited the world really, as far as that goes. They really did. Well, interestingly, I, I've never really heard anyone with who didn't like their stuff, so I'd love to know what did you think was a bit missed from them. Well. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> there were a couple of things like the purple rain you could never get. Um, it was all, it, it, I think they must've had it like once and then it never, you never were able to get it again. That was frustrating. Uh, I, I had a, a little bit of germination problems with a couple of their, lines but you know I, I i i gotta hesitate as to what which ones they were it was a long time ago um and i don't want to i don't want to really muddy their reputation with something silly like that but there were a few times where the, some of the seeds i got i questioned and eh, you know but that was I, I ordered a lot so everybody deserves a swing and a miss now every now and then i hold no grudges at all yeah, no, totally. And and so, just as a final little question on them specifically, what was the favorite strain you grew out from them? Hmm. You know, I'm just gonna have to say the skunk one. I, I you know, I, because it really just had overall what I really enjoyed about plant you know they you could get phenos that were a little bit more uh sweet you could get phenos that that had a little bit more uh, uh hashy flavor um but the profiles were all basically like really tight and really well done and i just i i just found that to be a very consistent line the the same thing with the afghan one it was the same way Really nice, really dark leaves, wide, beautiful, perfect indica structure, uh, really quality, quality work. That's interesting because we don't actually see, as far as I can tell, a lot of Afghan one pop up in your stuff. Is that something which never really interested you? There's a reason for that because I gravitate more to the sweets and that thing, those things that just stink the place up. And you see, I... Uh, uh, most of my breeding was always for clandestine use, and and so it, I lean towards that sweet smell because it doesn't tend to permeate the way that that uh, the the pure indicas go. They just they, you know, you can smell them a block away. Yeah, you know. So that that basically is. And I'm just a sweet pot kind of guy. You know, I I just that that's where I go. Uh, and so it's always fun to uh, try other things. But it, one thing I've noticed when you go into dispensaries nowadays and stuff, everything smells like everything else. And I hate that. And that's why I, Canada Exotics goes and tries to split that up and, and to, to make the, the, the savory flavor, you know, of whatever I'm trying to express the flavor and make it really unique. And I, I've been very lucky to be able to, 
to achieve some of that, you know, for folks, uh, because it really does make a difference to set the brand apart. If it doesn't taste like ordinary pot, then that gets people's interest. People are more into flavor than they used to be. Without question. So just on what you said there, it's an interesting point you raised about the differentiation of the flavors. Do you think that cannabis has the ability to produce any possible smell, you know, given the right genetics? Well, <laughs> I, 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 let's just say that I think that the cannabis can go a very wide range. I don't know that it can go to any smell, but I mean, it's demonstrated, a, a, you know, everything from sweet tropicals to, you know, gas. Um, so it, it's got a potential. Uh, I, I, I I don't know how people see uh, with, with, with science being the way it is now with them extracting these turpins and then going ahead and then putting them back on in copious amounts that muddies the waters a little bit, but for straight up breeding, I think that if you find a flavor, you can amplify it. And I, I, I let's just put it like that, because that's what I do. I use some strains as amplifiers for another flavor that's not like that. It's just a, uh, a, a totally different flavor, but maybe I want to bring it out more. So there are certain strains that I use to do that because they act like loudspeakers. And, and, and then you just look for those phenos that the target – taste is uh, predominant and you just use that and bring it forward so would you kind of say that your primary attribute you breed towards at the moment would be specific flavor or is each project a little different oh no yeah <laughs> no 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 <clears throat> there are tons of projects I'm dealing with uh, a, a, a company um, in Colorado that for legal reasons I can't give them any details but this company has asked me to develop a line for them for mechanical harvesting because they're developing a mechanical harvester to do things on a large scale and they have discovered that of course if you have a specific type of structure built into a plant that it, it makes a difference in how the machines do their job and so I've been asked to develop a, a, a very strict type of plant that uh, accomplishes this for them. And so we're in the uh, they they just have gotten the second series of prototype uh, target plants to see if they work for them. Um, the first couple were just what they wanted, and then they just wanted to add some different <laughs> different components, namely purple. <laughs> they wanted them purple. <laughs> wow, that's that's some really kind of specialized breeding. Do you do that type of thing a lot? Well, yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, we do. Um, that's kind of where I think I think there's a couple of different things that are going to be crucial for people to keep in mind in the coming years where the um, industry is going and and targeted. Uh, skills and and uh, industries like that are going to be more 
apt to be around longer. Um, the, the, the good old days of people just being able to grow and do what they want and make, make do with what that are basically going to go away. And it's only going to be the people that really, I think have a long history, uh, or are highly skilled at a specific part of the industry that are going to be around for the duration. Um, big, big money's going to eat a lot of this up. It's going to be a problem. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the things that we target is these specialized portions plus going on the exotic end because that has mass appeal and we're hopefully going to target the mom and pop, uh, who want to grow, you know, six plants in the backyard here in California, you know, we'd like to capture that market as well. Um, but we have several different avenues that we are exploring besides the seed industry. The seed industry is really just a, a my own specific little thing. <laughs> just because it's what I enjoy doing. I enjoy manipulating. Um, and to that end, what I'd like to uh, to try and do is, is do more professional breeding for, you know, the industry is, uh, on request. Uh, uh, you, you, I don't know whether you guys know about BPS or not, but BPS is the black platinum society. And it is, um, I, I probably the most expensive, um, seed bank company in the world. And it, it is ours and it's an invite only, um, people can't just join. They have to be invited to join, and it and it's all uh, private. And the only thing I can say is is that probably some of the largest names in the industry are members. So um, uh, it's we've got that to deal with um, in this, as well as all the specialized breeding. All the all the other things that we're into and going into are also pretty interesting as well. I I, I can keep going and going and going. So you better stop me here. <laughs> well, I mean, if we just jump back to a little reference you made a second ago about how exotics in general are on the rise. I think what's really interesting is that the majority of your work would widely be considered really exotic, really tropical, that type of thing. Do you think it's just a matter of time before the masses really pick up on your strains and run with it? Because as you referenced, it is the current hype. Well... Here's. I'm hoping to be uh, to actually get ahead of that. Um, I've been trying to work to get ahead of that. Um, what what we target in is I like to target the very high end of the scale. If you were to look at liquor, I'd like to be the high end liquor, you know, person. That, that I want to be that that. I want to be that Rolex, you know, in the in the and 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 I've always strived to be that way because. It's important to me to be there for the customer and give the customer the ultimate that I can give them. And because, like I said, I'm so picky uh, and it's been a real curse, actually. Um, 
that that really allows me to be able to focus in really tightly and with that couple that with the micro breeding that I do um, we it, it allows me to move and advance on these things really fast uh, in relation to other people who are you know doing different styles of breeding and, and so I'm hoping to get ahead of all of this because our company plans involve really go getting into where this industry is going at least in california uh i envision within the next few years you're just going to see large scale um production and um, a lot of that is going to wipe out the mom and pop specialty little stuff that people adore so much and I don't want to see that happen to my company. And so as a result, that's where we want to try and uh, partner with large-scale producers and, and keep the brand you know, on the high end for people to be able to get. I've spoken to a few different breeders about this exact subject you're tapping on. And I guess one of the sentiments I've heard expressed from a few different people is that there's always going to be a demand for the ultra high end and the presumption is that a lot of these big corporations are probably not going to be putting out the absolute best of the best. So with that in mind, do you feel like a black market environment for that will always be kind of inevitable and there may be a spot for these people who look as though they might be wiped out if they were willing to go black market type thing? Of course, of course. You know, yeah, there's always going to be that component. I mean, there's still a component in California for moonshine. You 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 could, you know, uh, there are people that still make moonshine in California. I mean, even to this day. So uh, there's no there's no reason to think that this is going to quell it to the, the, the full extent that it, it, that they want to do. But what I do feel is is that our industry has the ability at this early point to manipulate it to the proper perspectives and keep everything in, in line with the way that we want the industry to, to evolve. And uh, I think it's just incumbent upon uh, individual producers to, you know, show up to their best game make sure the customer is taken care of, make sure that everybody plays by the rules. And uh, I, I just think that it, it's it, because you're, you're only going to be able to manipulate it so much. The government's going to do what it's going to do and the, and the state's going to do what it's going to do. And you have to be light on your feet and be right on your feet when you do it. And it's just the way it is. So, so now you're going to have a component, uh, yeah, that is illegal. You are going to have that, but you know, uh, overall, you can still have this wonderful legal exotic at the same time, and it's done right and done fair and done beneficially to the society, and that's where we're going. That's what we want. So, what would be your advice in terms of how? as a community we can get to the kind of uh goal that you're describing whereby you know there's a there's self-regulation and the mom and pops haven't been forced out like what would be your plan for us to get there ideally well i think that that the people need to speak up they need to make that uh call to their representatives they need to make sure that um their voices are heard as far as that goes i don't want to see people edged out 
I just think that you're looking at huge money and you're looking at people with deep pockets who don't give a damn about the industry. All they see is the green. And those people have a way of, of edging into this whole thing. And, and I got, you know, I, I'm very, very cautious of that, but I think the way around that has been shown just, just in the political climate that you're seeing right now, you're, you're seeing a resistance to that kind of thinking that that kind of controlling and I think that that just needs to transpose on over into this industry too and we need to keep our voice heard we need to keep them understanding that you're talking about monumental shifts in in local economies uh, um, in, in some areas I, you know I, I'm in Northern California I know what the economy is based on around here and to disrupt it to the point that they're talking about disrupting it is going to be a detrimental thing for a lot of people it's going to be very scary and that needs to be worked out that needs to be taken care of and considered when they're doing this so the the local municipalities and stuff they have to you know come together on all this and find a way to work with these people End of subject. I mean, that's that's just how it has to work out. Getting there, I, I, you know, it all depends on how organized the voices are. Uh, I, I think I think if, and I've railed on this for years. Don't come off like stupid stoners. Don't portray yourself in in, in the hippie garb of the old days. Don't you know? Be professional. Be smart. Come off intelligent. And, you know, don't be the one with a bong in your hand when you know, people are interviewing you on the television for a particular issue or whatnot. Don't be that guy. You know, we need to project a new image, and it needs to be one that, you know, society is going to accept. You know, I used to have really long hair. <laughs> and finally, it got beaten into me that, you know what, people judge you by what, you, what they see. They don't judge you by your character. I finally ended up cutting my hair, and that's what pop smokers need to do. They need to uh, cut their hair. That's I like that. That's a good metaphor. No, it works. I mean, it 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 is really true. So, I mean, just with that word of wisdom in mind, if we could just jump back to a different topic we spoke about, I just want to touch back in on something you mentioned a fair bit earlier. You were talking about how you harvest gooey at different times. She's got different medical properties. Something which I had recently noticed is uh, the gooey cross C99 crosses that Duke Diamond did. Some of those phenos, particularly one that a friend of mine has grown, quite high in CBD and that was a bit of a surprise to me because it doesn't seem apparent that there's a ton of CBD in either of those parents or am I wrong is the gooey CBD rich oh, oh very yeah especially early on sure you know it, it, you're looking at um, yeah yeah you're looking at, uh, at a wonderful array of things it gets kind of racy at that point you know uh, it's a little racy uh, early on, but it really hits the pain uh, at that point too. But then, when as it progresses, the couch lock and the and the and the sedative uh, qualities really come forward. And then I noticed that the, the um, if you let it go a really long time, 
and then age it or let it age for you know six months in a jar or something like that yeah the cbd is really predominant and very nice and and very palatable too the the flavor changes to this rich uh, um maltiness that's uh, quite intriguing and totally different from fresh gooey fresh gooey is really sweet and tropical uh the cured stuff is a, a lot more complex and uh, I, I enjoy it too so yeah no you you've got a lot of really good stages and i think that what i always recommend to people when they're growing gooey is just start picking you know early on when when you see uh when you see about an eighth of the hairs uh, on there, pick it and try it and see what you think. And then, and then as it goes and you get half of them are gone, you go ahead and try it there. Because usually I, I'm used to describing this to people maybe who have never grown bot before, and I use the the pistols as a as a gauge for them so that they don't have to think too hard. Because I usually use a loop or a microscope. Yeah. <laughs> So I think something which is interesting, which you just said there is, you know, just start picking the buds off at different times. In order to do that, you'd have to be an organic grower, right? Yeah, you know, all you're doing is gauging. And that, I mean, it's not perfect. You know, uh, of course, you can make it better, but you're not looking for that right then. See, I'm a very purposeful person and everything that I do as far as the, the what I'm trying to get done, I'm looking for an exact thing. And, and in that point, I'm looking at what the effect is it, it, because it's a little harsh or whatever is not the focus. I expect that you can move on, <laughs> you know, you focus on what you need to focus on and not try to judge the thing at that point because you can go ahead and flush it and then. You know, yeah, I, I, I would, I would think that you would already start to be flushing it at that point, anyway. You know, only because you know, at six and a half weeks, you're almost there. It's time to start. Yeah, that that is true. Are, are you? What type of uh, nutrient regime do you use? You know, <laughs> I I grow every way you can think. Uh, I use everything, and I'm very stingy because. What I try to do is, is develop strains to not need a lot of fertilizer. And that if you put, even mom Gooey, if you try to give her too much, she'll, she'll reject it and be really pissed and you'll be very upset. So, you know, I always target to try and have strains use as little as possible because I'm thinking of the customer. Nutrients are expensive. Let's try and make them go as long as you can so there's it, i always try to breed towards responsive plants that don't need a lot i get a lot of gripe for that actually people people are so used to you know pumping their plants up and with you know if it's bred properly towards that you don't need to do that but i'm not real good about getting that info out i guess maybe i i need to do more of that yeah and it certainly seems like a good trait to have well, I, one would think, but I get I get a lot of grief for it because I think people just think that it's going to produce better, and it's not necessarily true. And also, too, it is what it is. It's, if you're trying to, you know, get huge, thick things, you can do it, but you need a huge, thick plant in order to have it come from. You're not going to get it from this little bucket. Yeah. 
totally. I've seen I've seen gooey mom with um, that thirteen feet tall with uh, a top bud larger than your head and with bottom branches as large as a man's thigh and six feet out. Uh, it can get huge, but um, you know people. Uh, they expect certain things and you know, they go into it with preconceived notions. So, um, you know, we try and, and educate as much as possible, but <laughs> sometimes you, you're surprised. I don't know. I don't know. No, it's a good point. I, I think another thing which just popped into my mind is you mentioned that the tie was the last thing you crossed into the GUI. Do you think that the end result of the GUI does have a lot to do with that? Like does the tie account for a lot of it? Oh, no. I don't know. I know <laughs> it doesn't account for a lot of it, but it accounts for the, I think, uh, the specific type of high that this plant gives you. See, all, all I look at, I look at resin as a vehicle. And that's why I wanted to build really resiny plants with really large glands because, of course, the epidermal layer is where the THC is. And so I wanted more of that epidermal layer on that gland. And so the bigger the gland, the better off it is. And so in targeting that, you can go ahead and then build in whatever you want. And you've got this huge vehicle of this huge, these huge glands to work in. And so when I did the the and the tie is an interesting story, and it's a fun story. This tie had washed up on the shores of Northern California in these uh, aluminum canisters. It was dumped off offshore and got discovered, and we were able to get some of that. And it had this most exotic chocolate tie flavor, there were some really amazing um, sticks that were with that. Uh, but the best stuff were these flaky kind of brownish cinnamon, reddish cinnamon tie that had the chocolate flavor to it. But it also had this really bright strawberry note to it. And that was the tie that we used in GUI and on the very last portion of it. And it, it, it just really finished the flavor off and gave it that little psychedelic edge that I love so much. Uh, and that, that tie was, it, it was just a, uh, it, it was one of those things that you remember all your life and to be able to smoke GUI and to be able to, go oh there it is <laughs> it's just a wonderful thing <laughs> yeah wow i mean you you just mentioned the uh the, the big trichome glands which is interesting because a lot of people you know kind of the more knowledgeable sources have traditionally said that your more equatorial sativas tend to have thinner glands did you find it to be like a bit of an uphill battle trying to make them thicker or, or did it come easily now you see that's where that you see that's where the Maui came in, because the Maui I am sure had Pakistani and I think and Pakistani glands are huge. They're they got large glands, and and and, and 
um, the tie had, you know, they were they were almost surface, you know, almost uh, without any stock, but but just fairly fairly noticeable and very you know fairly good size themselves, but not as big as the 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 component that the Maui added from before that. Oh, uh, you know, uh, the Cambodian had a nice dusting, but it wasn't like it was after the Maui component. And I really think that that's, and it just carried over. The tie didn't, didn't reduce the size. It carried into it. And that's what I mean. You use things as a vehicle and you select for it. This, this plant happened to be the only one that was like this. It was a, it, the the resin that it made was a mutation that it was easily a third again as resiny as anything else that was in that at the time and that's why i selected it and kept it going and you know it's just become such a favorite that i've just kept it going so i mean you just kind of touched on it then when you when you did first pop the gooey seeds how many did you pop to find the mum that was, uh, let's see, that was a long time ago, and probably knowing in that, in that particular instance, there was a greenhouse, so we had probably maybe 30 plants of this going. I, there, it was sharing it with another uh, grower, and he had one side of the greenhouse, I had the other. And I was doing tests and stuff, and I had everything in pots so that when it came time to do seedings and stuff, I could move them out and not, you know, get his stuff seeded because he was not seeding anything of his. So I would, I would, I can't remember exact numbers because I don't pay attention to that. Um, it's just however many females that I was going for through that at that time and i would guess from vague memory about 30. and so was this before the advent of indoor lighting like how did you keep the strain going at that point oh uh, oh yeah no this was this was at the very beginning stages of that i remember uh one of the, buying one of these really incredibly silly little hydroponic uh, uh kits and we would just use that and root cuttings in that because I had a bubbler in there and it, it had um, kind of like I think uh, kind of like a hydrocorn kind of a thing it wasn't hydrocorn because that was much later but it had a uh, something it, I th you know what it was the old uh, lava rock the red lava rock that people used to use that was what it was and we would just root in that and keep things going that we like because I learned early on that cuttings were an amazing thing. I learned it was called cutting a slip back in the day, and uh, taking slips was the way to, that you had to to preserve things. And I learned that that from an old lady who was doing uh, roses, and she was taking slips and then rooting them. So I thought, wow, that's interesting. Then I learned how to root with uh, uh, moss. On the, while it's on the plant, you know, you wrap it in gauze and moss with a rooting compound, and you can grow roots while the plant's still growing, and then just cut it off and plant it. <laughs> That's always a fun trick. 
That's certainly something I haven't seen done regularly these days. Oh, no, that and burying the branches, you know, partway having it serpentine up and down, and then you bury the and tie down the uh, things, and it grows roots right there and feeds the, 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 the branches. You can do it that way, too. Wow. I like doing that on on uh, certain types of sativas because they do grow vine-like, and and that works out really well. It feeds the plant and makes for a lot better yield. So the last little part of GUI in terms of the makeup that we haven't spoke about, the backstory, the Cambodia. How would you get that one? That came from a, a gentleman who was stationed over in Vietnam at the time and had brought back seed that he had with he actually brought back pot smuggled it in some way they weren't really looking for it back then so he had quite a little bit and he dug some of this out when I was with a friend of his and I happened to notice that he was just throwing the seeds away and I said oh you know, can I have those and he said sure and I said can you save those seeds that you get off of that for me and sure and so I actually gave him 20 bucks and uh, he saved all the seeds from probably I think about three or four ounces and I used those to find the ones that I wanted and that was a really spicy delicious pot just had a really nice spicy flavor to it I really enjoyed that I miss that (laughs) I miss all of these (laughs) Do you think that Cambodian's kind of one of the land races which doesn't get enough of a good rap? Because you don't see it come up a lot compared to some of the other ones. You know, I'll tell you right now, all of the Landerses, you, you can't hardly trust Landerses anymore anywhere in the world. Uh, the days of these types of, of pot are just basically gone. Either they've been eradicated, they've been torn away in drug, uh, not drug, in uh, war-torn areas. Uh, they've been uh, uh, infiltrated by other types of strains that have been brought from outside, and they've polluted the, the, the gene pools that way. It's just a real sad commentary. But, I mean, I've, obviously, I'm sure there are places in the world where there are still pure lines, but... They are few and far between, and I've, I'm sure if you talk to Bodhi, he'd tell you the same thing. He travels a lot, and he can, you know, he can see that there's a, uh, a trend that is not not very good because people are, you know, sharing seed. You know, they, they, even if you go and you share seed with somebody, you know, just out of a gesture of kindness, you're doing it a disservice in that area towards this end. And, uh, you know, it's just a sad commentary. So I, Landris's anymore are, are so difficult that you really need to, when you f- acquire one, I, I can perfectly use an example here uh, from the Emerald Cup. Uh, Badger, who works for Subcool, gave me some seed from a gentleman from Australia who said that he was um, – growing this stuff that this is what the aborigines grew and it was a fourth generation um, back cross uh, and 
I, I don't know anything about it other than that the ones that I've got growing off of it right now uh, are supposed to be landers, but they ha- one of them has an auto flower under 24-7. So uh, I'm kind of disturbed about that as far as that goes. It's And I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called reindeer syrup. No. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, I, in just using that as a fresh example, uh, you know, I highly doubt that there's auto flowers like that because this is supposed to be a 13 week sativa. Yeah, I would expect that or more. Yeah. So, so I, 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 I am skeptical at best, and, and I just use that as an example. You just don't know. Um, uh, especially, it's almost like the the game telephone, where you know you send a message around the group and it changes by the time it gets to the other end. You just never know anymore what you're getting. Uh, I I stay within my gene pool that I have now almost exclusively. There are a few things, and I always list them and tell people where where and what um, I have and what I've used. But for the most part. I don't use other people's work. I just stay away from it. <laughs> That's interesting because I was going to ask you that question. Like, would you ever consider it at all or it's just a, no, nah, not interested? Oh, it's not that I'm not interested. It's just that I look at it this way and I've always said this. I, I, I want I want the customer to have a wide range. I, I don't want intermixings and stuff like that to get in the way of the customer experience. And, if the customer wants an AK-47 to get an AK-47, uh, I don't want to give them an AK-47 times mom because, you know, that's some of the same genetic that they're getting. And, and while it may be fine and or it may be wonderful, who knows, it, 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 I guess I've always just wanted the customer to have a wider experience and to blend this stuff and muddy it and dilute it uh, is not the, not, not something I'm attracted to. And I, I just think that, that I think it's better that if they, if the other breeders do that, that that's, you know, that's what the young breeders are for. You know, that, that's what, who I'm breeding for is those young people coming up who want to do a, uh, a, a mix like that. I just don't want to see people do it by name, you know, so that they can have a cool name. That that's dumb, you know. That's just dumb. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, breed for purpose. Don't breed for you know stupid stuff like that. And the other thing too, and I'm guilty as anybody is, is that you know we need to start um, you know putting positive connotations to this product and not negative ones. Yeah, no more green crack. Yeah, you know, well, I'm like I said, I'm guilty of it. You know, the double death stuff, and uh, you know, the, the dementia's edge. <laughs> I mean, it goes on and on. Uh, you know, but it, all those things actually had a a purpose for a point, a pointed purpose for medical use, because like double death was for actually terminate, terminally ill people to make it a little easier on them. And the dementia was to help sharpen the brain. 
Yeah, that's interesting because I actually saw Double Death uh, pop up and as well as Death Grip. Um, I was, you can't find a lot of information about them except for the, you know, like dark related to Dark Desire. What What's the makeup of Double Death and how come everyone online... Oh, I think what I found was someone guessing the lineage online, but it looked wrong. So I was just hoping to get like a clarification. Well, Double Death is, uh, is the Death Grip times the GUI 96%. There you go. Yeah, the thing I found said it was like there was zin and lava in there as well. I was like, that doesn't sound right. Uh-uh. No, no. They're, what they're probably referring to, let's see. What would that be? I'm trying to remember. Oh, oh I wonder if they're thinking about Dark Desire. Maybe. Because Dark Desire has double death times zin times gooey times the... Uh, the uh, African, uh, which lava was built from, and uh, uh, the gooey, not 84%, from what I remember. So what was it about the gooey 84% male that made you choose to use it in a few different crosses? Like, what, what stood out about it? I miss that male. You know, of all the stages and of all the, the gooey progressions, that male just had everything. And I... I uh, I get focused on different things at times, and I get—I should have kept that male. Uh, I really miss him. He had—he uh, basically looked like mom. He basically had that really tight structure. He had uh, a a really great uh, capacity to put, pump out pollen, and the, his resin content—you uh, could smoke a bowl of him and you just get so stoned uh he was he was a real good a good one the only thing i and i think this is what made me get away from him was he seemed to pass on a greater penchance for powdery mildew and i was trying to breed away from that and uh the good part about this is is that the seeds that i got today uh, I have the 72% and they will go to mom and then they, that will build that 84% again. And so we have a chance to be able to find a male that's somewhat like that in that because he had a lot of body to the, to the, the to the high that I liked. It wasn't, you know, all head uh, it had a, I like a balance. I like a, a little bit of each. And so he had that. And that's what we're going to target for in this next round. Uh, bring those back. And uh, with a lot of, uh, of hope and a little bit of luck, we're not going to get away from producing those seeds on a large scale. Those will be a, a, a fixed entity when I find the right ones, if I find the right ones. So kind of touching on the issue of germinating old seeds, do you have any techniques for doing that? And what's the oldest seeds you've ever germinated? Oh, boy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I did germinate a couple of seeds that were probably 10 years old. Anything more than that, it's pretty iffy. And um, you can try a little gilbreic acid, uh, you know, like a 2 or 4% 
solution of gobraic acid because that'll be the component that gets lost in the age and uh, soaking them in a, a solution of that increases the chances of being able to come back. Gobraic acid is uh, responsible for that explosive growth that comes out of a seed when it first uh, comes out of the shell and it you know, it quadruples and and more in size in an amazingly short period of time, and that that component is what's responsible for that. Yeah, great advice. Yeah, so um, and it's readily available online. No big deal. Um, the other thing about uh, germinating old seed, what other thing that I've found that can help is to probably stick them in the refrigerator for a few days. Uh, some people. I've even tried maybe putting them in the freezer, like a deep freeze, and then bring them out and try and germinate them there um, because that kind of simulates a winter kind of situation, and, and you know some strains respond to that. So it's just a suggestion. I've heard of that working as well. So something I wanted to ask you was, seeing as you have kind of alluded the Hawaii and the Maui was – you know, some Asian and some Pakistani and whatnot. How do you feel about what would generally be regarded as land race Hawaiian? Is that what it is or is that a different thing in your mind? There's no such thing as land race Hawaiian. <laughs> There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Landerses need to be inbred in in microclimated areas for for generations upon generations in order to be real landresses. Landresses don't exist in Hawaii. Everything is imported. Um, everything that you see in Hawaii, from pineapples to, to trees to everything in Hawaii, is imported. And so there are no such, there is no such thing. Now, there are long-standing strains that you can find in Hawaii, but even a lot of those have disappeared over the years uh, due to you know just the raids and 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 you know growers dying off and uh, you know all kinds of stuff, uh, but no, there are no such things as landrous Hawaiians. Okay, yeah. So another quick little pop question I wanted to ask was: Gooey's got to be one of the oldest clones I've ever heard of. What's the oldest clone you know of? Uh I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to muse on that. <laughs> we, there's been so, there's been, you know, there's been so much over the years. I, I uh, hmm. Yeah, let's get back to that one here. I'll, I'll have to think about that. Yeah, too easy. So, Zin is another one to me which has got an extremely interesting makeup, most because it's, it's such a wide, eclectic pool of genetics. Why was there so many kind of different parents? Like, what, did you just kind of keep working it until you felt it was finished, and that's kind of why? Well, you know, Zin, you know, it, it really all started with I was pissed off at Soma uh, as far as the rock bud, uh, the way that it was so inconsistent and uh, I, I just needed to work on that. So I hit it with gooey uh, with 
with with with a male GUI back then, it probably would have been a 50-50. Um, that was probably the first uh, attempt at, at uh, starting in on the on the, the GUI cubing. So back then, that was that would have been it. So um, I hit the only halfway decent Rockbud um, from Soma that I I could find in like two packs. And at the time, I also had uh, Sub uh, had sent me some uh, seeds that he was getting ready to sell the the the, the uh, Sputnik 1.0. I a, a Sub Cool and I basically started Breed Bay a long 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 time ago with pistols and and Doc Bob and. Um, we were among the very, very first people to sign up. And so we have a long relation, even though we have radically different breeding techniques. Um, and so I had tried some of that, and there was one pheno in there that, oddly enough, didn't express any color, but was a nice flavor. Uh, I enjoyed the flavor, and, and so I hit... Uh, a male from that group that I thought was pretty close to the female that I liked and uh, uh, hit a gooey mom with that. And that really kind of seemed to, to be a nice segue into the, into the um, rock bud, you know, because the rock bud was able to stay pronounced and pretty hard. Um, and then I went ahead and I used something that was given to me. It was called a very, very surprise. And very, very surprise, I had a mail from that I used on GUI as well. And I put that into that mix. And then the whole last component after that was the 84% male GUI. And it, it and it culminated in this purple bud that that really none of the other things had expressed. But I had to think it came from the the uh, Sputnik. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, it could have been the the very very surprise, but I I never saw any plants that expressed color in that. So, um, uh, but I know that the Sputnik had a had a a purple component in the genetics and it just came out in that particular pheno and uh boy that was yeah i got i actually got rid of uh zin and i i did away with it because uh over time genetically it starts to have recessive stuff come out that i don't like and uh one of them is hermaphrodism it, it, it comes out in about the fourth generation in certain mixes you know in certain uh it when people are trying to grow and, and even even within my strains if you mix it with certain things like you know tiber and fairs or something like that it's gonna it's going to uh, give you a hermaphrodite city it's awful like that so i i i aced it out um because i don't want that in the genetic pool but people love the earlier stuff and as long as they you know you know are growing those things out and testing their work 
they'll be able to screen that stuff out. And so uh, we allowed the ones that exist now to be out there, but that's it. Yeah, okay. So the very, very surprise. That's an interesting one. You, you briefly touched on it. It's not very well documented. What is your speculation as to the genetics of it? I really don't know. I grew it for two years, and it had some uh, a wide range of phenotypes, but the most desirable ones were pretty much uh, uh, expressed in kind of a sativa fashion with a, a nice full bud structure and a very sweet, nice smell that I enjoyed. Never saw a color, though. Um, and I think anything that is named berry needs to be colored like a berry. I, that's just me. <laughs> no, no, it makes sense. So if we just jump over to lava for a second, um, why did you make that one? And were, were you looking to make it purposely or was it kind of a bit of an accident? Oh, here's what... when la the the original African excuse me hold on and mm. drink a drink the lava uh, African is um, a really it's a really exotic tasting plant I I I like I love the color color was really dark when I saw the small amount of examples that I saw of it but the seed that I got from it. Um, when I grew it, every single thing was purple on the plant, even with a really dark expression to the leaves here in Northern California. It, it, it They were green, but they had this dark look to them that was different than that, like an indica look uh, to it. And then when they flowered, the, the deep purple that it had was just awe-inspiring. And it and the high was crap. <laughs> and, and I knew that going in because I, I had tried some of this stuff before. But it, it, the high was – it was just crap. But I didn't care because that can be fixed. Uh, I just wanted that component of the color. And so um, I mixed that and with an old indica that – Oh, it was just it was just a gorgeous indica uh, and there was also a Hawaiian part of it that it, uh, this gentleman friend of mine that grew this beautiful I want uh, the closest thing I would say is like a Kauai electric kind of a, 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 a plant although that wasn't it it was just something that he had grown himself over on the islands, which is what I like is, is, you know, little stuff that people don't get released and stuff. Uh, that got added in with this old indica that used to be um, illegal when I, I got a hold of the seed here in California before they made indicas illegal. Uh, it was called uh, uh, the cabbage bud, and it looked like, cabbage it didn't have a lot of structure to the bud and stuff it was mostly leaf but it was just crusted as all get out with this incredibly skunky smelling just really whoo it, it was it was something it was a fun fun plant and i had that for many 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 years and i used the um a male from the african on that 
And then I added the Hawaiian in last on that. And Lava, I wanted to make, was actually almost exclusively for the Hawaiian market. I sent that back and, and my, uh, my uh, Honolulu rep um, had rights over that for a long time and had uh, uh, it, uh, many islanders grew that because it purples up no matter what. And it, it really was a, a big hit over there because they loved it because it had the uh, the um, photograph, you know, uh, look, and it also had this exotic taste that I kind of looked like a, a Moroccan spice bazaar kind of thing uh, to it that I, everybody just really enjoyed. And uh, yeah, I still I still enjoy some of the types of lavas. I'm, I'm working with some lavas that I'll bring out later on that kind of build on that more and bring more of that out to the foreground, uh, even more than lava did. But yeah, that was, uh, that was something that I, 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 of course the, the THC levels were, you know, in the middle, but I could build on that and make it, it uh, much better, and so uh, we're working on that, and we're going to bring those those old favorites back too. Goo Thunder as well. Wow, that's really exciting and something to look forward to. Just, you mentioned the purple and how you know it's really pronounced in that one. I remember reading an article you wrote. You discussed how you bred the Dark Desire as an attempt to breed a better purple strain. What to you is a better purple strain? Is it just an aesthetic thing, or is it more of like in the medical sense? No, well, there's several components to that. Of course, the medical sense is first and foremost, and I've given uh, a number of my purple lines to researchers who are back east. I don't want to really expose them or anything like that because they're they're working kind of you know underground, but they are actual real researchers who are uh, exploring the components of the the uh, the antioxidant qualities that come from that and what their, what their interplay is when we're smoking them. Uh, I, I have a, an inkling and I've gotten, you know, some vestiges of, of, of them saying, yes, I think what you're onto is right. And, uh, we're excited for that because, um, the anti-inflammatory, um, things that it brings to the table really you know are key when you're smoking you know i mean that's you're causing inflammation to your lungs so if there's another key component to smoking purples that fights that inflammation i think that that's a incredible plus and needs to be explored more and that's what exactly what they're doing so uh, we're excited about that and i work towards that but also, too, of course, it's aesthetically there. I mean, people look at that and go, wow, that's pretty. I'd like to try that. But my biggest thing in the past has been that people smoke purples and, and, and it has this musty flavor of the, the purple component itself. The actual chemical has a taste. And if it's not masked and overridden, it... It's not palatable. It's not very good at all. And so what, what, what I have always strived to do is to build in a much more flavorable component. And I think that when people start 
getting more exposure to stuff like midnight snow and those crosses right there, they're going to be overwhelmed with how much purples can taste uh, different than what they're probably used to or exposed to in traditional purple lines. So we're always excited to do that. But, oh, yeah, I, I, I love Midnight Snow. It's just delicious. It certainly seems to be one of the newer ones, which I don't think the public have fully picked up on yet. Do you attribute that to just, you know, it's just kind of not out there yet? Or do you want to kind of push it a bit more? Oh, no, there's more work I want to do. But here's the deal. I've purposefully kept this market of mine very limited for a very simple reason of, of future marketing. Uh, the more that you, you know, I, I could release seeds at a number of places, and you've seen that they've been in Attitude before, and they've been at, at other seed banks before, and right now they're at uh, um, um, James Bean's seed company, the uh, JBC.com, yep. uh, and that's the about the only place right now, other than my private reps and uh, the BPS folks that are getting seed. And that's by design because, like I said, I want to be able to hook myself into the larger production market. And part of that is creating, quite frankly, a a high-end product that you can't get a hold of readily. It's, It's hard. And that just keeps, you know, that status. And that's where I want to be. It uh, doesn't mean I don't want everybody to have it. It's just that up until you know now, this is how I've built the product to be. Yeah, and I understand that. So just referencing back to the article I mentioned where you spoke about breeding the dark desire for the proper purple, I think a little later in that article, I, you said something along the lines of non-true genetic purples generally occur due to like the cold, maybe a few other little factors but this isn't quite the case with your ones, which are like the true purple. It got me thinking, what do you think are the mechanisms which make that occur? Oh, you mean as far as as it, it, like, the other ways other than being genetically built in? No, no. For, so like traditionally people would argue that the cold induces purple, but your lines would argue that that's not exclusively the only way. So I'm kind of thinking, well, if it's not the cold, like what what does do it? I think you even referenced something along the lines of like slower movement of carbohydrates. Oh yeah, well as far as the sugars and stuff moving as far but those are that's what that's what happens in the in the fall and winter for I I I I reference trees like a maple tree or something like that when when those things stop moving through the the um the plant then these pigments come out. That's they're always there. It's just that they're always masked by chlorophyll, and 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 now all of a sudden, without the the chlorophyll in the in the mix, all of a sudden they're visible, and that's just basically what happens. It, 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 that's with a, a cold-induced thing. It's things are moving slower in the plant, and and you're not able to uh, to express those. Uh, it's just a different time of the year, you know. They, it's just their cycle. They're going through it, and it's the same thing with pot. Uh, some strains don't purple at all. They never will, no matter how cold it gets. They'll just stay green. There's others that have this penchant for the 
sugar's moving slower through the plant, and as a result, the chlorophyll doesn't get moved, and they start to die off, and as a result, they express these purples. Then there's my type of purples, which are a genetic mutation that probably was developed in response to high levels of um, UV exposure. It was just another way of protecting the plant, uh, much like resin uh, in high altitude uh, things. It's, it's speculated that that's why the plant developed it initially. Um, and then other other theories come into play, like, you know, uh, insect uh, deterrence and whatnot. Uh, uh, I, one would argue that the plant kind of hooked onto human nature <laughs> long ago and probably built itself around us more than anything, since we do have receptors in the brain that are just for that. <laughs> yeah. So just finally referencing back to that article one last time, well, not really that one specifically, but in general, do you plan to do more articles going forward? Because it feels like they're quite informative. The community seems to engage quite well with them. I, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I am, what I am trying to do right now is I'm in the, in the beginnings of writing a book about my particular method of breeding because I think it's a good time to bring this out to keep people on the straight and narrow. The only problem is mine's a numbers game, and it really is truly a numbers game. But there's ways to manipulate that uh, that I would like to share with people so that they can do this. And ultimately, this can be used in an industrial setting. But uh, you know, other than that, I really haven't even been approached. Um, other other folks that are skilled with photographers, uh, you know, skills and stuff like that have have uh, presented my work very eloquently in magazines, and that's about the extent of the exposure that that's gotten. But you know, God bless them, and and that's fine. And I, of course, I would do more. I'm really, really hoping that uh, I can advance this brand here uh, with the laws changing the way they have in California uh, it's made this much more complicated and what I'm hoping to that will come about is that I can partner with uh, some individuals who've got facilities and we can uh, move the brand forward at that at that rate a little faster than what I can do on my own with just my company alone yeah um yeah, it's 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 an interesting time. So I guess maybe an interesting question then would be for someone who's just starting out, what would be your advice to kind of the aspiring breeders like without necessarily giving in to what you referenced earlier where you're just making a whole bunch of, you know, F1 hybrids with not a lot of intended purpose? No, see that's the whole thing. That's what I want people to not do. I want people to start focusing in on targets. I want them to pick a target. I want them to understand their parent plants. Before they do any breeding, you should know that plant inside and out. And that means growing it more than once. That means growing it in more than one fashion and in one situation and putting it through stresses. Everything that we do is 
is has goes through a lot of different steps before it ever hits the market because you need to know these answers. You need to be able to tell people what's going on and you need to be able to uh, understand the pitfalls that then you can give them to be able to make sure that they don't have a problem. Everything that I grow is based and the way that I describe everything that I describe is based on a one gallon pot with potting soil, water, and that's it. Maybe a little cow crap. And that is it. That's how you get a base standard because I always gear myself and my instructions for the beginning grower who's never had a seed in the ground before. And everything that everybody sees is kind of based off of that. Yeah, I get what you mean. So I guess, how do you feel about uh, breeders who put out seeds without testing them? Not, Not so much that in itself, but more so when people get asked about that these days, they'll say, yeah, but the market just moves so fast these days, you, you can't test it. Like, there's not enough time. Well, no, the, no, no. And that's not, and in my life, that's not proper breeding. I'm sorry. You can call yourself a breeder. You can you can throw pollen around, sell seed, and you can, you know, a clock is always right twice a day. Even if it's broken, it's right twice a day. But that doesn't give people a license to be a, called a breeder a breeder is someone who picks a goal designs to that goal meets that goal tests that goal to ensure that subsequent breeding with that is okay and doesn't have a little built-in time bomb and, and then you release it to the public because it and it also it really also depends upon the market that you're going for. Again, I that's my mindset because I'm breeding for breeders. I'm not. Most of the people that buy my work aren't mom and pops growing in the backyard. They're people with a purpose. They're doing it for a reason. Either it's for production, or it's for further breeding. They've got an idea, and so in my mindset. It has to be the way that I just said. Now, if you're just a, you know, providing seed for folks and stuff, and you're not trying to sell them pie in the sky websites with all these beautiful pictures and oh my god, and then you grow it and it doesn't look anything like that, then uh, then no, I, I'm against that. And uh, you're always going to have the bad apples. What are you going to do? You, I just think that it's better to be an example that people want to go by than to be an example of somebody that ripped somebody off and you're scorned and and that that's a short-lived life right there what, what, what good is that you saw you make a couple of bucks doesn't last yeah that's just not the way we do it so I guess on the opposite end of the spectrum, who are some of the breeders whose work you know you're really fond of, and and I guess you would be willing to recommend to other people if they wanted stuff outside of your lines? Well, um, of course, North Star Genetics, I really am proud of because of course they use my work uh, in some of their stuff, but they also have their own uh, distinct ideas, and and they breed much the same way as I do, very 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 well tested and and uh, i enjoyed their attitude 
uh, I like Bodie's attitude. I, I, I have to really admit I don't grow a lot of other people's stuff. Um, the stuff that I do tend to grow more than anything is uh, these little nobody's ever heard, nobody will ever hear kind of people that have got something that they've demonstrated to me is interesting that, is, that I want to follow through and see if I can either replicate or if it was just a fluky thing or whatever. Those are the kind of things that usually get my outside attention. Other than that, I have years of backlog seed that still need to be tested, gone through, and cataloged and stuff. And so I really don't have time for to enjoy other people's work the way that I should, it, 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 I, I just, I, I, of the stuff that I have tried from other folks, I get a little frustrated with how much it tastes the same as other people's, and there's not a lot of distinction to a lot of it. Every now and then I'll try something from somebody that has a lot of distinction to it, and I, hmm, that's interesting. And then I feel good about that, that that's another choice for the customer to have. But I really, you know, I've got to confess that I don't have a lot of exposure with other people's work these days. I got so frustrated with it back in the day. And I didn't see a lot of testing with people doing that work. And I started to harp on breeders all the time and, and call them to the carpet and there's people that are no longer around because of people like me, you know, voicing my opinion about, hey, look, you need to know your shit before your shit gets out there because people are spending real money and they're, you know, they're, they're spending a lot of months hoping that this is going to work out for them only to be disappointed. That's not right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just, that's how I look at it. And I always tell young breeders, get a target don't not know what you're doing as far as what you're breeding with know it inside and out and then be honest with the people and be helpful be 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 um um uh giving more than anything else be giving don't don't depend upon every little sale to of 10 pack of seed that that's it, and then your responsibility ends as soon as the customer has it in their hand. No, that's not right. Carry them through. When they're grinning with the whole beautiful plant standing before them that they just can't wait to dry and, and smoke, then then you can smile and say, okay, I did a good job. Especially when they after they dry it and they smoke it, and they go, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's that's the real the real gift from God. That's the that's the best thing you can have and i look forward to that more than anything so do you feel like in general maybe the onus on breeders to take that customer service to the next level needs to kind of increase to match the times we're in in this day and age especially what's going to set you apart from joe blow i mean now all the days all he needs is this fancy website you know it, it, you can post a gazillion pictures just stole all over the place and and you know you just gotta no be be that person that they want to call on for their genetic needs just 
just work towards that end. And it, you know what? It's not going to happen overnight. Breeding is not – it's taken me my whole life to get this far. And there's still a lot I want to do. But it, it, it's no easy road. It's a road that can be done. And it can, if it's done properly, you can enjoy success. But if you don't do it properly in this day and age – it's not going to work. The internet never forgets. The internet always will be. And the internet has the last say. So have it say something good. Don't have it say something bad. Yeah. So, I mean, just to kind of change topics for a second, I remember reading one of your descriptions and it read something along the lines of, if it has the word gooey in it, it better be gooey. What does that mean to you? You know, like what 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 embodies gooey overall? Sticky. It's got to, the resin's got to just be proliferous. You know, that's a, that's that's the trait that she's best known for, and that's you know if if it says it, it, it needs to be it. Just like like I was saying about you know a berry needs to really kind of be purple I think or damn near because it should be like a berry build stuff that's going to be like it says and you know if it's yeah I, I one of the examples I use is the old Mendo haze because that stuff has this absolutely overpoweringly wonderful lime vodka uh, taste that people it just it whips their head around it, 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 what is that that is what you want to do as a breeder you want to bring out that stuff now that was one plant that I found in a group of seed that was given to me and none of the other plants were like that but that's what you have to do is you have to find that particular amazingly different plant and bring it forward and then use it and and midnight snow is beautifully purple but it tastes like old mendo haze and oh people love that so on the topic of haze did you ever get to sample the original stuff and how, how different is the mendo haze from the original I think the old Mendo haze is from that original work because those seeds originally came from Santa Cruz and then they were grown for, I think, probably over 30 years up in Mendocino by one guy who said he never released them. He just interbred back and forth, but he never claimed that they were the original, but he called it Mendo haze. So... He, you know, he he said they came from down there, and God rest his soul. I was lucky enough that he gave me a few of them, and it was only because he said, "Well, take these and make them famous." I said, okay, <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, he, I found this one plant, and it's like, oh, Yahoo, Buckaroo. Uh, it has the the haze kind of a, a look to it. It looks, I mean, if you looked at a plant of this, it, it you'd swear to God it was haze, and the flavor is just oh so wonderful. I just can't wait to have more people enjoy it. So if we take a look at one of your other strains, one that 
had always caught my eye and kind of made me had a bit of a laugh was the psycho patch i actually grabbed the pack of it i liked it so much because it's the af gooey and the gooey was that just like a little funny kind of i wouldn't want to call it like a pun or like a play on words but you know like they both got the goo in the name was was it just kind of like a fun thing or do you really like the af gooey no i'll tell you <laughs> and this is this is probably going to get people more riled up than anything but unfortunately for them the genetic DNA has been tested and confirms what I've been telling people for years. My partner made af gooey and I made gooey. And we both, they were both made basically at the same time with uh, a year, a 18 month, I think it was, spread between the two. And the Afgui got its name because it was the Afghan one that was crossed into Gui, and Gui was first by about 18 months, and it was grown in an indoor situation. And I've seen people say that it was, you know, an indica and Hawaiian and stuff. Well, yeah, that was the component that people focused on in Gui was the Hawaiian part. And uh, there's been a big debate over this for years, and I've heard of other people saying that, uh, you know, that it was this guy, a surfer guy over in Hawaii that originally developed it, yada, yada. yada. Well, you know, I got examples of of, uh, AFGUI, and they were tested against GUI, and it showed a clear genetic relation to the between the two and which is what i knew already because my partner sold afgui clones all through the 80s um when we made it in the late 80s when we made it and uh locally and it just took off because it was really a, a a nice plant it was really a good plant i didn't like it as much as i like gooey so we agreed that he would go ahead and take that. And I actually even, out of deference to him for many a year, I didn't mention it just because I was kind of hoping that he would come into the the scene and be able to start spreading some of his other breeding that he did that was really wonderful. Uh, but he uh, never has. And he's actually local and kind of lost touch with him. I miss him. But... Um, yeah, it's confirmed that uh, those two are related. So I thought, well, you know, why don't I just go ahead and cross it back to each other because I don't ever recall ever doing that. And uh, the resulting plants have a, you know, they have a, a squat structure of about five feet, six feet tall maximum, but they're really wide and... Uh, they are just some of them are just really deliciously tropical smelling and i really really enjoy that part of it but overall um it's not my favorite smoke (laughs) yeah okay so what traits are you looking for in males are you looking for gooey traits in like most of the males or is it different for each I, i look for the target trait that i'm using for for that for the target of the breeding yeah Again, it, everything is specific to what the target is. And you want the males to 
have dominant traits that also you know are going to have when they're recessive they're going to stay recessive they're not going to get passed on and, and expressed in that next set and i look for males that perform that way and how do i do that i've already tested them with other stuff before i use them for the particular project i already know how they're going to pass on their traits in different scenarios sometimes i'll use uh, um, strains that that have some of the same genetics as the targeted one so that i can go ahead and i can uh see how the interplay is and once i am happy with that then i go ahead and use that male for the targeted purpose and then i go through those plants a kind of a common idea expressed by a few different breeders is that they'll have one particular mother for you might be the obvious one maybe the mum but they'll use a lot of their males on that because they know predictably how the mum breeds. Is that something you do or do you wide variety of pollination? That's one of, that's one of the things. It depends again on, on the breeding goal. If you're breeding for a wide spectrum of expression, you're going to want to use more than one male. You're going to want to use multiple males on, on targeted plants. Uh, because you're going to get a wider expression. Uh, that would also be if you're doing pure landrises that you want to maintain, you're going to want to use more than one male on more than one female. Um, uh, again, mine's a numbers thing, and bigger is better in this game as far as numbers go. You want to have as many as you can grow and maintain as you possibly can. And then you want to be ultra picky about what it is you select. So the male, you have to stick with that target. People get distracted. They get they get to where they, you know, they see this and they go, oh, well, that's interesting. Does it fit your target? You know, if it's interesting, put it aside. If it's another thing that, that you want to do. But it it's on its own thing off to the side it's not what your target is stick with your target and that's what dictates what the males are are all about if you if if i'm trying to breed out uh uh recessive uh um hermaphrodism or something like that I'm going to test the males to make sure that that's what happens, you know, that, that I'm not breeding that in or, or, or what genetics triggers it. And it, all this stuff takes time and it takes numbers. But that's the beauty about this company that I've made is that I, I, I do that. And the breeding method, the micro breeding that I do allows me to be able to do this on a scale that allows me the luxury of the numbers without having to get all carried away. And I'm going to explain that in the book. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a very valuable thing, and it, and it will touch on all of these types of uh, uh, of things that, that people are wondering and, and how to avoid. Uh, I think that that's just the next step and the next progression towards making this a better industry. You just referenced the book. When When would such a thing ideally be finished? I'm hoping within the next year because I really want to add a lot of 
examples and color to it. I've already got a lot of them too, but I, I really want to show there's a couple of instances that I haven't got pictures of that I want to show people uh, progressions and what I'm talking about and what it, what it entails uh, and why it's important. Uh, and, and, and it's just a refining thing and I'm probably going to release it as an ebook so that people can just download it, you know, and, and get it right away. I don't even know if it'll be a physical book. It seems to me that people don't do that much anymore as far as traditional books, plus, you know, killing trees, yada, yada. I'd rather, yeah, rather make it digital, I think makes it easier for people to have and carry around and. So I'm looking forward to that, and I, and I do all that stuff myself. So uh, you know, I got it takes a little time. <laughs> <laughs> so you just referenced, you know, dealing with hermaphrodism is probably recessive. Have you ever found a line where it had just outright hermy issues, but you were so into it, you were like, "I'm going to breed this out over a few generations." You know, I started too with a, a line called Zinful, and. Um, I, I I it I just started to get obsessed with doing this because Zinful had has has it all. It has um, beautiful dark presence, beautiful colors, beautiful uh, um, berry deep berry smells, uh, a, a nice heavy heavy yield doesn't take much nutrient to grow it and 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 it's really forgiving in a lot of ways but every now and then it, it expresses hermaphrodism on some of the buds uh they can be you know sporadic nanners here and there but um that's just i just can't do that you know and what i found is is that if you let that stuff go then it tends to get more and more i attribute it to the tie the tie traditionally had that and i bred away from it um within the tie when i when i was growing that tie it, uh, the pure tie was just wonderful but uh, some examples of it did hermaphrodize really easy and a couple of them didn't and those were the ones that were i was able to uh, to use like in making gooey so uh, i you can you can get away from it but it's lurking there always and all it takes is that trigger gene to be able to you know bring a re recessive into a dominant and, and that's what testing's all about so it, it, there like i said there is no shortcuts if you're doing it right there's only shortcuts if you don't care <laughs> so how do you feel about filial breeding versus, say, backcrossing? Because I've noticed you do do filial breeding, but there's not a lot of backcrossing as far as I can see. The only backcross, well, again, it depends on whether I want to cube the line. If if I'm cubing the line, you always go back to the the target plant, and you, you go to the from there. Um, but other than that, it's just selective males. Uh, from for targeted traits and I'm looking for you I really try to stay with one trait only you know I really want to target just one trait there's been times where I'll say well ooh, this has both okay we'll set it aside and do further testing hopefully that's the case and that has worked out sometimes but for the most part uh, you know when I'm doing 
lines like pure gooey every every succession goes back to mom because i want that's the target plant and, and it's just that simple i mean if you've got this beautiful plant and you want to make seed of that plant the best thing to do is to find a, another opposite type of plant or one that has some of the genetics in it that are exactly the same but the rest differs so much like uh, an indica sativa hybrid and you're looking for to mate it with another sativa and you're just going to breed away all the all of the indica uh, expressions and just target target the other plant and then that's you just go through it in, in succession until you've got it and that's when you have to be the most picky so yeah there is back crossing is is important you know in certain instances again it's the target of your goal and that's what I hear more and more in questions like these and stuff like that is that that's what's lacking in breeding uh, in general uh, to a large extent is people don't think far enough ahead. They're just still stuck in the next very next seed plant that comes off of the very next seed. And they're not going very much further than that. That's not that's in my book. That's not breeding. Is there any circumstances in which you would opt to use the like a gooey mum you found from the the seeds you created out of the cube project over the mum gooey, or would you pretty much always opt for the mum gooey? I have in the past. I have. So I, I, it, it would be a separate project always, of course. But yeah, I mean, I have in the past. There, there's a there was a, a comes to mind a few years ago, many years ago. Um, there was a version that was uh, um, more resonant. Mom uh, was the focus of it. It, 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 and and it had there was a mother plant that I had for a few years that I was using as a as a balancer for mom, and I, ultimately I got rid of it um, because I found that it was too dominant in crosses. And it would it would just overwhelm everything, and, and when you're a breeder, that's not good. <laughs> so so after a while, I I got rid of it. But yeah, the more resonant mom one, yeah, I'm sure you could probably look that up. There's probably somewhere on Breed Bay, and it had it it was it was resin on top of resin. It was beautiful, just beautiful. So yeah, I mean there are certain instances where of course I'll, you know, it's all about what you see and and whether it is right or not whether it, it it's something that is going to be useful and targeted targeting is always the thing it is so i mean given the specificity of your goals and kind of often implied again it would be a separate project it would have you'd have to set it aside and have a separate thing no it would not immediately step in and be the substitute quarterback in the game. No, uh -uh. Yeah. the quarterback stay. So given that a lot of your strains are using a lot of different steps you've made along the way, have you ever had any projects where it's just worked on the straight F1 and you've got exactly what you wanted? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of those examples, a really good example uh, at the time would be the Purple Mayhem. The, the purple mayhem was exactly what I wanted first shot, 
it, it didn't have, I mean, I, I, it, I'm sorry. It was exactly what I expected first shot. Uh, it, it, what I want from it now and with lines that I'm working from that is I want to add more power into it. I think it needs to have a heavier hit to it. Um, but the, a lot of people just love the, the state where the high is right now. Uh, and you get those wonderful flavors that it has. Oh yeah. That was, that was a, that was a blessing right off the bat. And do you ever get to try any of the more modern strains, you know, the current F1 hybrids being released? Have you ever been blown away by any of them or it's all just much the same? You know what? No, that's, that, uh, no, uh, <laughs> I, I don't get high off a lot. You know what I mean? I am, uh, my tolerance is incredibly high and uh i i complain about this to breeders all the time that you know okay when's when does it start if i do find something what i find more and more nowadays is bottle rocket bot where you feel this incredible rush and then boop it's gone where'd it go (laughs) 10 minutes later where the hell's the high no i don't want that i want something that lasts and has a nice longevity to it with a steady feel i don't want a lot of peaks and valleys that's that's yeah i don't like bottle a lot of previous guests have referenced that the the closer you get to land race if not land race itself generally you get a high more akin to what you're talking about you know very unique no ceiling it just long legs what do you think it is about hybridizing strains which has caused us to lose like to, to almost put a ceiling in place as to how good the high can be well i think that that's almost like art you know where beauty is in the eye of the beholder uh, I, I hear I hear all kinds of different uh, uh, references to older pot given by people who have the knowledge of it, and with younger people, they have no way of expressing that. Uh, insofar as because the knowledge just isn't there, and I, I find that I, I, maybe. life experience has more to it than than they give it credit you know as far as this goes in 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 so far as this particular question goes you know i i I think the more references you've got the more you're able to draw off that and and conclude better and i i just i i just like the old the old fields i think have uh a better presence I, and that's why people like for, like gooey for instance they really find it to be a unique thing these days when it 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 uh it isn't unique to me at all uh, obviously but it's what i expect and it's kind of like one of those signposts uh in life and, I, and that's why i'd like to get it out there more is to have people understand the way it used to be and how it it was back in the day when it was really unique to have all these different um, strains that don't taste like the next strain that's that that you did today. I, they're just too much, too close. They're just all too close. 
So, there is this kind of topic we've referenced in the past on the show where, you know, although there is this this idea you're putting forth, it comes up all the time and everyone agrees with it for the most part. But there is a few strains where people kind of say they are kind of undeniably elite, you know, some of the Kushes, some of the Chems and all that type of thing. How do you feel about those ones which the public still hold as some of the best? Are they just same same category feuds, still not interesting? Um, well, you know, no, I mean, I, I, of course there's been, there's been a few really interesting ones that really catch your eye, like the, uh, a, a nice East coast sour diesel. That's really gassy. I mean, that's really neat. That's really an amazing thing. Uh, the, 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 the different, um, The different sativas that that I I find more more palatable flavors and and more uniqueness in stuff like that uh, and I really just don't find as much pleasure in the cushions and 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 the 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 OG everything's uh, I I just don't I just don't get it as much. It, it all tastes generic. Whenever it starts to taste like a pot shop smells, then um, I, I don't. I, I'm I'm just not into it. And that's where I put a lot of that uh, stuff that's out there now. Is uh, I the even though there are these elites and stuff, they they aren't what attract me. Let me put it that way. Yeah, fair point. So, just I guess to kind of maybe answer some of the curiosities some people might have, although Indicas aren't your favorite, which one has left the best impression on you? Uh, well, of course, the old the old Indicas like like Afghan one, uh, and the old Cabbage Indicas. If if anybody I know, there are certain people that are nodding their heads when they're listening to this that remember that old 70s indica before it was illegal that had this absolutely it was a skunky taste but yet it was sweet at the same time very unique those types of the high was just deep and soul reaching almost uh it it it, it was quite something and it, it, those are the kind of things that I gravitate to and gauge my ex- indica off of are things of, of that nature. And the old Pakistani, those were incredible too. Uh, those really had body to them. They had flavor. They had presence. And they grew wonderful plants that just they were just a pleasure to view. Some uh, would have... Uh, of pH issues that would allow the pistols to turn this bright magenta color and they were just gorgeous to look at just really something else those are the things that I remember and and, and gauge all the work today on and uh, I just don't see a lot of it I just see a lot of hybridization uh, different expressions uh, I'm guilty of it just like everybody else I'm I'm the stuff I'm making isn't like the old stuff you know it's just not but that's progression this is how it is 
So you referenced the cabbage bud was quite skunky. Just on that topic, I like to throw it by everyone. Did you ever get to try what people kind of call the roadkill skunk? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It 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 was it that has a different kind of a smell to it. That's a lot has a lot more of the gassy qualities mixed in with that heavy indica uh, smell and 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 presence uh, of the dead skunk. Uh, so it really made it pronounced a lot more. And that's what I was speaking to earlier, where people can make strains that make a completely different smell more pronounced just by adding a louder voice to it. Uh, it it's like the vehicle uh, that that shares and, and gets expressed from. And that's a, that's exa that's a good example of that right there. Yeah, very very strong, very it smell. I, the highs was pretty much a body high, as far as I remember. Um, tried some of that up in Mendocino. Yeah, nice. Yeah, no, yeah, a lot of friends up in Mendocino. <laughs> it's a good place. <laughs> so, I just wanted to a bit of a random question, but one I was kind of personally interested in getting answered. I've noticed a few people I've seen posting. Um, photos of what they have is the mum gooey, I believe, and they say things along the line of like they got it from you, maybe one step removed from you. Is that true? Like, are you do you give cuts out pretty freely, or you kind of keep it quite close to chest? Nope, I've always given it away as much as possible. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of these people, I had no reason to doubt them, but I was kind of like, yeah, it seems like he's definitely happy with it being out there. Oh, absolutely. Uh Again, you have to understand the method that I use. Yeah, the, the more people un, that understand the breeding and stuff, I'm hoping that maybe they will be attracted to other stuff that I've done, and maybe they'll want to try other things that I've developed if they like this. You know, and and and, and not only that, Gooey's probably one of those plants. I I. Let's say I wanted to file a patent on it. I can't do it. Um, if uh, if a plant has been out in the public for more than a year, then it's considered pretty much open source. That, that's it. And uh, so you can't patent a thing like that. Well, it's a signature plant, and I, I think that people really need a gooey plant in their garden because it's one of the more enjoyable plants that they will ever, ever own in their life. And I am testament to that at it being 35 years old. You know, this plant is, is a keeper, and there's reason for it. And, it, and when they try it, they want it. And, and that was one of the main motivations of creating the Pure Gooey Seed was the fact that people I couldn't I can't give enough of the gooey away. <laughs> you know, I just can't I can't do it. I haven't got the capacity. But you know, if I made a seed that mimicked mom as much as possible, eh, I can that I can do. I can get it out to a lot of people. And so that was the motivation and it always is the motivation to everything I do. You know, is that this is the best way I can do it and help people. That's why I don't charge. Whatever the reps are charging, I don't know. I don't. I don't keep up on them. Whatever they're making is fine with me. Whatever they can get. But believe me, I 
don't charge a lot to them because I want them, I try and encourage them to keep the price low, to keep it affordable because I want people to have this absolute deal where they, they, they buy this stuff. And so many times in this industry, they'll buy something from a picture that looks so wonderful online and they get it and it's not what they wanted. I want them to be surprised. I want them to be overwhelmed. I want them to be, wow, you know, I got my money's worth out of this and I'm so happy that I spent this money. That's what I want. And and in giving GUI away, it just shows people that the real intent of Canada Exotics is not money as much as it is their satisfaction and their happiness with because life's short. Let's 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 make it the best it can be. Yeah, good motto. So, wanted to run the idea by Fems. What do you think about them? Will we ever see some Mum Gooey S ones? No. <clears throat> uh, you, there was a time where I did produce that, uh, and the genetics on the S one side are gone. So, um, I didn't keep them. And did you find the results just weren't particularly good anyway, or would you consider doing you know, it again? I, I, yeah, you know, I, I found that mom completely overwhelmed it. It, it just completely overwhelmed it. Uh, almost 90 to 90% of the time with very few of the really super desirable components coming through from the, from the S1. It just didn't work. Um, uh, I think... The reason that is, well, I know the reason why it is, and the reason why it is is because GUI is composed of mostly Landers works, uh, by and large. So um, their genetic chains are very dominant, and uh, people have to be wary of that when they're using it, that that's where it's going to go as far as um, genetics go. Uh, genetics are like water. It's going to take the easiest path. And if people know their shit, then they're going to be able to uh, know where that path is going to go before they even breed with it. They'll have a good, reasonable expectation of what to expect if they know their stuff inside and out. And Landris is, when you're, when you're working on old Landrises like that, you have to know that those are going to be dominant, in, especially in heavy hybrids like today. Where, where there's hybridization upon hybridization and, you know, all this stuff is related and whatnot. The, the, the more truer dominant lines from the landers are going to overwhelm that. Yeah, totally understandable. So on the topic of land races, Durban Poison one, Durban Poison is one which I find is always kind of peripherally present on the scene. You know, people are always kind of talking about it, maybe never in the limelight. But the thing which I wanted to ask you is, have you ever tried it? And how do you think it compares to the African ones you've been experienced with? It's a lot different. Um, but then again, I've, I've, I had exposure to um, some of the older um like red Africans and stuff like that that were back in the day, back when I lived in England, there was, uh, I can't remember what exactly where, which, which region it came from, but um, it was just really, really, really interesting. And uh, 
the Durbans are a lot better structured. They're a lot more look um, like they've been bred for production and, and for producing rather than the stuff that I was, have been exposed to, which is gathered, mostly gathered wild. Um, I have a producer friend who does a lot of generic photographing for Hollywood, um, and he has been able to get me a lot of these things. And he was one of the ones that got me that purple African um, where they called it weak heads um, because it wasn't very strong. Uh, those are the kinds of Africans that I've been exposed to back in the day the African black I did try a couple of times and that was stunning Um, but the Durban poison I find to be a little bit more um, commercialized I guess is the best word for it um, I I enjoy it. I mean, it's 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 a nice high. It doesn't seem to last that long for me, but um, I, I'm 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 a hard nugget to please. So unfortunately, I I've I've grown. I would never incorporate it in anything I do. Yeah. Okay. So, just kind of jumping out of the land race for a second. Berry Mania, it's an interesting one because it incorporates the TGA line Lemon Freeze, which is a rather obscure one. It hasn't been around for a while. What was it about the Lemon Freeze which attracted you to it? Because it pops up in a few places. Yeah, Lemon Freeze wasn't Subcool's work. Uh, it was a subordinate of his that made that, and he didn't really care for that. Um, but what I found about it was that it had a it, a, it was a good vehicle. It, it, it had a, a, the ability to pass on its structure along with some of its lemon flavor, but you could easily overwhelm it with other traits. And like, let's say frozen lava was a good choice for that because, um, it allowed me to build this deep purple with a crusty, beautiful dusting of heavy resin and uh, still bring that lava forward. And uh, it didn't, it didn't overwhelm it with the, the typical lemon turbines that is so typical of Subcool's work. And uh, uh, so I, I found it to be a better use than anything. I, I never, uh, I, I, you know, I love Sub as far as a person goes. He's a wonderful guy. Um, I enjoy him uh, as a person. I never really found much of his work that I could get behind as far as that goes. But this wasn't made by him. He did the selection wasn't done. But it's one of his most asked about strains. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Sonny was the one who made it. So, you know. Um, That's interesting because I think the common sentiment is that a lot of the more memorable lines from TGA did come from Sonny's work and the whole TGA Canada crew. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I, I never really wanted to step on sub like that because I've known him for so long and I, I do uh, appreciate what he's built. Uh, but Sonny really 
was a very, very key component. And I liked that particular thing probably more than anything else that I ever tried from, from TGA. Yeah, yeah. So, something I wanted to ask. I've seen a lot of kind of support from you for a few specific forums over the years. However, you're noticeably not present on Instagram. Do you feel there's a big difference between the platforms? And how come you're not so present on Instagram? Well, um, I had uh, Pistols from Breedbase set me up an account on Instagram. And I do have one. But in all honesty, I... I'm an older person <laughs> and, I, and and social media to me is its own thing and its own time consuming thing. And I've got shit to do <laughs> and, and, and I don't, I just don't have time to, uh, I, I leave that up to other people and, and, and they're busy too. Uh, and so Instagram to me, I should, I know I should be on it more. I know I, if you look up GUI Reader on Instagram, there's a shitload of beautiful pictures of stuff that people have grown out. Uh, and I've only just recently started to comment on some of that stuff um, uh, and to address maybe an issue or two that I saw on there. Uh, I just I just don't spend a lot of time. I'm a very private person. I don't have a Facebook account. I don't have very much at all out there. I mean, I guess it would benefit me and maybe I should do that more, but I'll probably end up just hiring people to do that PR work for me instead and uh, give them the information to post or whatever, because I just don't have time. Yeah. Understandable. You know, it's just more that, uh, the work is more important than than that. I, I I can't I can't do anybody any good if I'm sitting online posting pictures and being self gratifying. Uh, that's not me. That's not what that's not what this company's about. This company is about the customer, and I'm not doing them any good by sitting there posting crap online. That's what other people can do, uh, and they do, and, and they do it quite well. They do it much better than I could ever do. So, I would just I like that. well, you know, hey, uh, go with your strengths. I, I, I don't claim to be, you know, good at very much, but I do try to be the best of, of, of what my capabilities can do in what I do. So, you know, let, let, let those people go with their own strengths. Yeah. So, there seems to always be a bit of a call that demand is always ex exceeding the supply for your seeds. Do you tend to do that on purpose? Like, do you limit your seed releases or is it just simply, you know, all you can do for the moment? Well, no, I, I mean, I can produce much more, but uh, most of <laughs> most of the reason that I keep the, the seed restricted is because I'm, the bigger picture of what my company is all about is development for the mass market when it comes time and the the seed business is an ancillary offshoot of that um that one generates the the necessary buzz to keep the product in demand but it also i do want 
I do want to share this with people. And so, you know, I, I, I'm getting to a point now where I'm trying to do both, where I, I, I do want to expand enough to give people the ability to be able to get a hold of the work if they want it. But I also want to have and capture those very, very specific phenotypes that I'm looking for. And the, the primary reason why I'm making all this seed is for myself, for that particular goal. But yes, I mean, along the way, other people should be able to share it and, and enjoy it. And if I find really good plants, I'll give them away, just like I always have. Um, if they're interested enough in it and they want it and they need it for a particular reason or they just want it because they've seen it and they fell in love with it, well, that's reason enough. Let's give it to them, you know, because it doesn't change my work. My work is is there's always going to be somebody wanting something from me in some way, shape, or form. I just hope I can give it to them, and it'd be it one way or another, whether it be providing seed to the public or providing that one little plant for that person who really needs it because maybe they're bedridden and they, you know, they need it for pain or whatever it is that. that, that, that that's what God put me here for. Yeah, that's what a you know kind of great message to abide by. Who are some of breeders from years gone by who are no longer putting out stuff, and you know you really wish they were still around, or you had some of their stock? <sighs> you know, I would probably say just for the experiences that I've had. I would, I kind of maybe would say if I had to choose any one person, it'd probably be Reefer Man, just by virtue of the spread of, that he used to offer with some fairly predictable results overall every time. I, I appreciated his work. Yeah, nice, nice selection. So, sorry, go on. I'm sorry. There are, there are very few few i mean i've tried the the, you know, the barney's farm and, and all, all the 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 ones that were big names over in 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 europe and that's what pissed me off enough to to start really getting serious about getting this work out was uh, just the 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 lack of caring and the lack of of uh, uh consistency and the lack of of uh, expression versus sales, you know what what was said isn't what I see, and and that sort of thing. So uh, I really got soured on growing other people's stuff. There isn't a lot of stuff that I grow from other people. You know, it has to it usually it makes its way to me from people I trust who do grow other people's stuff, and they say, "Hey, you know, you need to look at this." Yeah, basically it. So I don't grow a lot of other people's shit. Yeah, I mean, well, you you had to learn the hard way, right? <laughs> well, you know, every yeah, everybody has their own path, and I would rather I've got, like I said, years of stuff that I still have to to go through, and and you know, it never stops. It's like the mail; it never ends. There's always something else to do, always something else to check. I'm looking at a pile of seed right now that 
is in a box that I need to go through that's just from this last year that the box is like seven, eight inches deep, two feet wide, and about 32, 33 inches long. And it's full. Too much. That's just one. <laughs> I need I need a bunch of acreage. I got work to do. So I mean that's the kind of thing that I, I you know I, I just I I'm too focused in with my own stuff to worry about other breeders. And like I said, I want the public to have as wide a variety to choose from as possible. So I'm not gonna mix it up and 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 explore a lot of other breeding because that's for the public to do and that's i'm i'm just here to serve the public and that's not serving the public if i'm wasting my time growing other people's stuff that is ultimately not gonna i'm not gonna use because i just don't do that that isn't what i do yeah understandable so i mean question on the similar lines as the last one maybe going to be a bit of a hard one because you may not have thought of this but which one person has had the most impact on your life in terms of cannabis? Luther Burbank. Quick answer. <laughs> well, it's the only answer. I think I've expressed that off and on throughout the interview is that, that you, you've got to look at, at a master craftsman who has a very uh, fine view of what his goals were and the extent and the breadth and width of his work is staggering. I mean, I'm working with one plant. That man worked with amazing amounts of plants, amazing amounts. He he, he developed things that uh, are are just mind-boggling, and, and he did it all in a very short period of time in his life, really pretty amazing you got to really respect him and so yeah I, I would say if people you know did a little bit more reading about the basics that he would teach uh, they could benefit quite a bit from the reading yeah great answer and I'm sure everyone probably has a little bit of homework to do now <laughs> oh yeah well that, I think they'll be amazed when they figure out like I said I mean uh, the, the the potatoes that we know and love, he's the one who made them. The blackberries that grow alongside of the the the, the roads here in Northern California and beyond, they're all because of Luther. Uh, it's, it's it goes right on down the line. It's it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, without a doubt. So we'll move on to getting towards the end of it. We've now got some questions from the fans. I think you saw that post, so hopefully you haven't gone ahead and seen too many of them. But the first one is, where can we expect to see your work available in 2018? Well, I'm working uh, on trying to do some refining of releases. So uh, I, the, the one thing that I'm hoping to do is to be able to late summer be able to release the next stage of, of the pure gooey uh, and that's being optimistic um, but I, I'm thinking it's doable and um, as far as where to get them uh, jbc.com is probably going to be carrying a lot of lines of my individual reps um, 
in various places, uh, Hawaii, uh, down in L.A., in Nevada. Those folks will be posting stuff individually online that people can find. I What I try to do is, is give everybody different sets of genetics so that uh, they're not offering the same things. So they overlap and everybody uh, uh, is able to benefit that way. And then there's just more of a spread. So that's the goal for uh, 2018, along with what I'm hoping to find is somebody in the Northern California area who's got growable land with a building on it that we can move into and, and start developing some stuff under uh, a state um, guided licensing and uh, uh, all completely legal 100%. That's our goal uh, to get that set up. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, hopefully making that happen. We've got some leads. We have a lot of, uh, of folks who are ready to invest in this company. Uh, they're just waiting for those hurdles to be uh, jumped over. And so that's what we're working on. And once we do that, people can look forward to uh, a, um, a faster release time of materials because the more space I've got, I've got a lot of space now. <laughs> I have a lot of space now. But to get into a legal situation, uh, we need, you know, we, we need a, another facility that's different than the ones that we're working with now. So um, uh, we're looking forward to that. And uh, that's going to really benefit everybody because then I'm going to try and bring the seed prices down. That's my next goal. I think they're too high. And I think, you know, yeah, people ought to be able to get a beautiful result that's fantastic for a really reasonable price and that's what we're looking forward to yeah sounds like a good outcome for everyone the next I'm hoping. yeah <laughs> sorry um the next question was someone said that they heard you pop beans in relation to the phases of the moon if that's true what are the benefits well you know i do <laughs> yeah in reality there's very little benefit uh, it, it's a fun little thing to do. Sometimes I will do that. Uh, I have found that you get a little bit of acceleration, especially with supermoons. Uh, but those are few and far between. And a lot of times they don't fall in the right times of the year. But I have a tendency to just plant at least a couple of beans during supermoons just because it's been a long-held belief that that accelerates things and, and gets them going whether I have not found that to be really true insofar as a, a final outcome but it's a fun little thought and it's just one of those things it's like groundhog day you know thinking that the groundhog coming out of the out of the ground is going to predict what kind of you know forecast you're going to get in the next six weeks it's just, it's along the same lines, you know. It's an old farmer's almanac kind of a thing. Yeah, no, cool. So, what are some of the techniques you use for keeping such old clones in healthy condition? Well, you keep healthy mothers, and you just keep you just keep clipping them, and again producing the mothers off of that. 
the gooey mom that I have now is not the original, very original plant, although it is. Um, it, it's the same exact plant. And for it, since I keep the, the lights on 24-7 on mother plants like gooey uh, all the time, plants don't know how to tell time. And to them, it's just one long day. Um, and so it doesn't know. And I just keep clones going and, and make mothers off of those and then clip those. And you just keep on going. And it is the same plant. But yeah. you just have to be yeah. diligent about keeping your clones going through all those years. And that's what I've done. I have other plants that are very old, too. Yeah, like like a sim, uh, stock you were using around the same time type of thing? Not quite that old, but no. But, uh, you know, there's some... I have a few jamaican uh varieties that are just wonderful spearmint gum kind of things that I'm developing. They're, they've always proved to be, you know, those bright speaker kind of plants, you know, the, the carrier plants. Um, uh, and uh, uh, now Dark Desire is getting older. Uh, that That's at least seven years old now. And it just goes so fast. Time just goes by so fast. Ain't that the truth? Do you, have you Have you noticed any of your older clones... Uh, kind of degrade in any regard because some people have said that y even despite best efforts, yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah, what the? I, I I am always skeptical of genetic drift. I think it ta I think it would take a long time. I mean, I use tomatoes as an example. There's there's tomato heirloom tomatoes that are plants that have been growing for over a hundred years, and they're fruit is just as tasty and delicious as it always has been but genetic drift is really i think what you're seeing is an expression of micro um climates and very small changes in environment be it soil conditions uh nutrient level ph all these different things come into play and can deceive people into thinking that a genetic drift is happening it, it, it for the cosmic forces to come along and degrade genetics to that point takes a long 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 time and i just don't think people are are alive long enough to really notice that in, in a given example and i use gooey as a perfect example because I, it's been around so long that there's people that I have not seen for decades that when I hand them a joint of this, they look at it and, they, and and they just look at me and they go, this tastes exactly the same. And this feels exactly like I remember it. And that's, that to me just says, well, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's grown in exactly the same way that you remember it. You know, using the same mediums. Like I always tell people with gooey, uh, I like gooey the best grown in rock, rock wool with general hydroponics nutrients. Um, it has a particular flavor out of that. And eat. the only other variable I would say is that I do 
like the flavor of a metal halide in that situation better than a high pressure sodium. But I'm growing more towards LEDs as they develop and get better. So, um, but a, a specific uh, heavy blue light uh, that comes from the metal halide has a particular flavor enhancer uh, in GUI that brings more of the sharp, sweet flavors forward, and I really like that. Well, the next one is we've got someone here who says they've got an old pack labeled Superstar, and they were just wondering what's in that. Oh gosh. I think they said one of the parents might be old Mendo Hayes. I cannot remember that. I I I, I remember the the name. I don't remember what what's in it. Um, I remember it being a bright. Gosh, I'd have to look at my notes, and I don't have them with me. Um, hmm. No, that escapes me. That one. That's all good. The old mind just isn't clicking for that one. I'm sorry. Um, we've got one question here. It's what would be your recommendations for breeding against recessive autoflowering traits? Well, testing. <laughs> male, <laughs> male selection and testing. It's just that simple. It's like any other trait that you're trying to breed away from or breed to. It's testing. You know, do it till you're satisfied. I mean, I don't, I don't, nine times out of 10, any problem that people have with this stuff can be fixed with just doing the proper testing. And that means proper testing involves stress, it involves different situations, it involves putting the plant through its paces. That's how you get strong plants that are well-developed and can be predictable and can take a punch, you know, is by do, and, and, and to me, if it's, if, if you're, if you have, have that genetic in there, you get rid of it and, and get rid of the whole line. I can use Zen as the example. Like I said, I got rid of Zen because of that. It had a recessive that I couldn't get rid of. That it just it it would appear not in the first couple of of crossbacks or or even with other stuff, but it would come out in the fourth generation and it would be really prevalent. Well, that's not acceptable. Get rid of it. So that's how you deal with it. You you get it out of the gene pool, but you can't know that until you test. Yeah. So when you select males, do you like to leave them? all kind of untopped, untrained, and just see the natural expression? Yeah. Oh, everything I do is nat all natural. What good is, what good is changing the shape going to tell you? What, what good is, is, is allowing a plant to develop in a different way other than the way that you bred it to grow? I, I I don't understand that. I, I, I that doesn't tell you anything. What you, you how can you speak intelligently about how big a plant's going to get if you interrupt that and send it sideways? Yeah, <laughs> good point. Good point. So, yeah, no, no, you leave everything natural. That's why I said before, all of my all of the stuff that people see, all of the stuff that 
I tell people how it is is based on a one-gallon pot with a store-bought soil and a little cow poop and water. Yeah. That's it. I mean, because you, you need to have a standard. It, it's it, it, In basic science, it's controls, and that's the control that you're using. That way... The only if everything is getting the same light, they're getting the same water, they're getting the same air, and 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 they've got all got the same soil. The only thing that's left is now is for them to express what the genetics have, and that's what you want to find out. So it's basically that simple. Yeah. So we've got another question here which says do you know if any of your current strains you've made are notably good for migraines yeah gooey is good for migraines like i said before the uh nerve pain uh it's been notably you know like multiple sclerosis and stuff uh patients really report a, a really good relief from from that and that's why i'm really hot to get that strain back out on the market because it, overall, it's just a good medical strain. It has multiple uses, uh, a very wide spectrum of of, of um, effects that are that can serve a lot of people, and migraines are one of them. Uh, another one uh, that would be currently available for that would probably be Afgui Island, um, because it's got a lot of it's a it's it's our CBD dominant strain um and it's really good for pain that way too there's not a lot of it out there but i know that um um uh, jbc right now has it in stock so and if you were to look to pursue a, a cbd project further would you want to look within the lines you have now to find cbd or would you consider bringing like you know a charlotte's web type thing in no, I've got plenty of stuff to work off of, including uh, hemp, uh, you know, from the Midwest that is just really has copious amounts of it. Just wonderful to work with. Hemp would be my first choice. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, which hasn't really been mentioned before. Yeah, I think it's I think it needs to be um, you know exploited more because. Um, what my company and the website details is that there's a, a um, component that we want to develop where we utilize the refuse of the of the uh, industry and turn it into different products and and uh, be able to serve the making the use of the whole plant right on down to the the stocks with making, turning, building materials and that sort of things, textiles and and all that stuff. And and part of that is the CBD production because uh, you're going to find that I think whole plant um, material works the best in certain instances. And people who are using CBD, I think, would benefit more from whole plant production than just targeted. Um, extraction like that right? i think there's a lot more benefits to it uh that way than than people are crediting and i think hemp would be the the target for that because it's just already so rich and well within government compliant you know regulations for thc and stuff it's, it's really low 
So, you know, that's a, just a quicker avenue to go by is, is, is using hemp. And I've even found that when you buy um, bird seed that is supposedly sterilized, uh, 30% of that bag of big bird seed will, will germinate. And uh, generally it comes from hemp. And so if people want a little tip, they can go out there and get that and try it. And they'll find that they get a percentage of them to grow. And then they can use that as a whole plant source to be able to, uh, to do the treatments. And I think they'll really benefit from it. Wow. Because we, we, I've been interested in getting more information on things like the, the FICO, like the full extract. And a lot of people are just not that experienced with it. No, I mean, you're going to run into that because it's so new, um, but there's such a focus on it. And in here in California, there's so many people that are, are focused on it that it's really fast developing. Uh, people are getting better refinement. They know what they're, they're doing. They've, they've got specialized people that are working on these products, and you're, you're really seeing a lot of good results. Gosh, uh, I'm seeing more and more of it all the time. It's just wonderful. Yeah, nice. So we're on to our last little part of the interview now, which I like to call the quick fire questions. They're hopefully a little more short response ones. So first one, what was the last strain to really blow you away? From other people? And anything. Could be your own work. Anything. You know, I have to always go back... I, 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 I love pearl tie. Pearl tie is one of my favorite ties. Um, and I, I think the, the last time that I had a good pearl tie was several years ago. But it, it's one of those strains that sticks with you uh, and gives you uh, a perspective that you just don't usually get from pot. And that's, that's one of them. I, I, I love pearl ties. The pearl ties that are around today, I know Barney's Farm has a tie that looks like it. I think it's uh, the Grinspoon uh, uh, strain. Mm. Uh, it isn't quite up to par. I know Bodie has uh, a better example. He had some at the Cup uh, there this last year. He actually was handing out handfuls of it. And as soon as I... <laughs> He, I took a look at it. I said, "Oh, darn tie, huh?" And he goes, "Oh, yeah, you know, huh?" I said, "Yeah, I like it." Uh, and so, actually, I, there were some seeds in that, and I've got them growing right now. So we'll see if that continues on. But it's kind of like Bodie said; it, it's kind of one of those highs that makes you sit there and stare at your feet for a while. Yeah, it's so it's so funny. Uh, sorry, I was going to say it's it's so funny you mentioned that because. Of the trip I most recently did, that tie from Bodie, the pearl tie, was definitely the standout to me. And I can attest it'll stay with me. It was unlike anything. And just to touch on that point you made about um, Barney's Farm, I think the information that's come out recently is that you're right. It's not a tie, what they're offering. They're actually offering an S1 of, funnily enough, a reefer man strain. And it's his one called Senor Garcia, which was the Oregon blue tie. Oh, cross. Yeah. yeah. So, that, so that's why it's got that look. But you're right. It's very much the poster child for that kind of pearl tie alternating calyx look, isn't it? Right, right. With the old days, 
that pearl, the pearl tie that was like that, had a very strawberry presence to it, its flavor. And you, the stems were just covered in resin. It was just this big space of stem covered in resin and then a couple of little poofs of flower and then a leaf or two and and then but oh it was just so good and and the high was just so um uh satisfying and rich and the flavor was just overwhelming i that's what i really enjoy i i i miss that pot probably more than just about anything other than maybe an old congolese that I tried in England uh, that was so, actually, quite frankly, the same structure, uh, just really red. Yeah, wow. Have you looked into Coastal Seeds work at all? I know they've got access to some nice Congolese. Uh, you know, I did try that, and as a matter of fact, and I didn't find it to be anywhere close to what I remember what the, the, the original stuff was. I was actually quite disappointed, but, uh, you know, you can't. Like I said, I'm really, really picky, and it's not it's not fair to them because that work, you know, may be fine. Uh, it's just not what I would have targeted, and not, not I, I wouldn't gravitate towards it as a result of my knowledge. But like I said, that's what I was saying before. Your your history really colors what you what you know, and and quite frankly, I'm a dying breed. You know, pretty soon. I'll be gone, and that memory of those types of highs will go with me. And unfortunately, I hate to see that for young people because, gosh, the the history is so rich and so delicious. I'm sad that 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 more people can't experience it the way I remember it. Yeah, undoubtedly. So, next question is, what's your favorite smoke right now? Um. Well, if I was to pick an outside source right now, North Star's um, Moon Shadow uh, has it, he used the old Mendo Haze in it, and he did he mixed it in with something else that I don't know what it is, but it's just really, really, really flavorful and really nice, and I I really am enjoying that as far as a smoke i only have it in full melt but um <laughs> it's it's good i normally don't smoke concentrates and extracts but um that one i make an exception with so <laughs> i'm enjoying that work other than that i just uh, i i constantly smoke old mendo haze gooey um dark desire and um, midnight snow, uh, as 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 ones that I will go to day in and day out. Uh, the Jamaican, uh, if I want a kind of a spearmint gum kind of a flavor, I will go to that. Um, and if I want to have something that's nice and and cerebral, that I have a few uh, uh, individual plants that. Their, their origin escapes me at the moment. Um, but they are sativas. One of them is a Mexican-based one that I smoke, uh, that I really enjoy too. But for the most part, again, I, I've, I've got too much material to go through. 
And I, uh, the most of the smoking I do isn't for pleasure. It's basically for research to find out what I want to go to next. So I know you're not that big into kind of, you know, strain of the month type things, but out of everything you've tried over the years, what was the one thing where it was the least memorable to you, but it seemed to get quite a lot of traction with the public? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, uh, Wow. Uh, Jack the Ripper comes to mind immediately. Um but beyond that, the um, the old bubble gums, I was always disappointed in those because I never could find a good bubblegum fino. Um, and I was disappointed, uh, quite frankly, in the Northern Lights varieties. Uh, I, I thought that I never could really understand why they were as popular as they are and the white widows I, I never could understand that either i always thought that they lacked huge yeah interesting answers so the next next question oh sorry go on well i just i don't want it like i said i don't downgrade other people's work i as a as a rule it's just that i'm really picky and i'm it has to have it all in order to impress me yeah, no doubt. So if you could only pick either indoor growing, outdoor growing, or greenhouse growing, which would you pick? Oh. <laughs> I do all of those. I, uh, and each one has their purpose. Uh, I, I, I would have to say if I was on a desert island and I could only have one, you know, I unfortunately I'd have to say ugh, I'm torn between greenhouse and indoor, only because, um, and I would probably if I had to choose between those two, I'd have to say indoor, and the only reason is is control environment completely, and it, and and for my purposes, I like a controlled environment. Doesn't mean I don't use the outside. It doesn't mean I don't use greenhouses because I love greenhouses and I love growing outside. But if I only had one, it would have to be that. It would have to be indoor. So, do you have any land race varieties that you know you, you yet to crack into, but you're kind of thinking to do it in the future? Yes, I still have work to do on something, some stuff from China. And um, there's some Indonesian stuff that I got a hold of a couple of years back that I have not broke into yet. So uh, those, uh, and I hopefully have a little guy coming back <laughs> that bringing me some stuff from Burma, and uh, I'm looking forward to him handing me those. So those things, you know, have to be gone through and see if they're viable and worth using and see if they've got anything in them. So it's going to be a little while, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff on the horizon. And with, like I said, the advent of being able to, uh, to get um, more space and, and availability to be able to get this stuff out, we'll get it done. <laughs> so, 
if you could uh sorry sorry different question um we, we've kind of touched on it already but just for clarification out of all the old world genetics you've kind of you know land race you know close to land race all the stuff you've been able to try what's been the most unique Oh, and uh, all the Asian stuff could be lumped into that. The Thais, the Cambodian, you know, those those areas, I think, just have the most intense presences and the, 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 the highs are very rich. Uh, also, there's been a lot of areas in Mexico that I really enjoy the product from. Um, Mexico has a really wide and varied climate uh, and and uh, environment, and a lot of really incredible, unique stuff has come from that area. And uh, even on down, you know, going into Brazil and and, and uh, some Brazilian uh, material that I've had before has just been stunning. Um, but it doesn't adapt as well going north it doesn't it loses a lot in the translation so to speak but mexico really does seem to be a lot more stable and 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 does tend to do better up here but i i would say of of those the asians and mexicans are 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 ones that i really enjoy the most and i would if i had to be on a desert island again growing indoors that's those are the ones i would use so, lucky last question. If you could kind of transfer one quality from the land races or any strains and you wish that, you know, modern genetics would take on more of this these types of traits, what would it be? Probably that psychoactivity that is uh, that that field of <clears throat> You have to be old to remember this kind of thing, but I mean, there's there were strains back in the day that would take your breath away, and you would wonder if you were ever, ever going to come down again. Uh, though the those are the kind of things that I remember, um, and and there's been a few real expressive ones like the old Puna Rota uh, was one like that. The, the, the tie sticks of old, I uh, used to really enjoy that. Even though some of them, they said they were adulterated. Eh, I don't know that I've, the seed that I grew from had a lot of the same qualities and I, I really found that to be a present. So yeah, uh, got to go with that. Just, mm. I really miss the uh, psychoactivity of it all. It's all become much more uh, sedative and and or racy uh, without having that that quality that just makes you sit. If you were in a dark room, it would almost be a, a kind of a mushroomy kind of an experience with visuals and it would you know that kind of thing. I miss. I, I look for that a lot, even now in the in stuff, because it's there. You just got to find it and bring it out. But if you do, and some people report the gooey does that to them, uh, to some degree, if they smoke a lot of it, because it's really got that edge of that tie and the Cam- Cambodian in it that that really had those qualities as 
a predominant part of their high. Um, it got muddied with some of the other stuff. Uh, but it can come out, and I'm l- going to look for that in the pure gooey when I make it. I'm going to try and build that back in. So keep our fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So I think <laughs> yeah. that one um, might bring us to the end of it. Did you have any comments or shout-outs you wanted to make? Well, I really want to thank you very much for a wonderful interview. I really appreciate the opportunity to express my views. I know I sound like an old stick in the mud. I am. Uh, and that's just fine. Um, that, I, I really want to let people know that we really try hard to make sure that every customer experience is a good one. And we want to bring our very best to you. And uh, on any scale that we can do it, that's how we want to perform our job. And if they have any problems, if they have any questions, if they have any any uh, uh, inquiries or anything like that, go on to the website. Give us a, at at, uh, at GooCana. They can also use uh, Gooey Breeder or CanaExotics.com. Any of those will take you right to the website. Go to the contact page. Write Matt a letter. He'll get a hold of me, and we'll take it from there and make sure that your experience is a good one. And I thank you very much for the opportunity. No worries. Thanks again for all the information, and hopefully we get to chat again soon. Oh, I hope so. And I, I, if you uh, have uh, further questions or if you, anybody needs anything uh, on your end, you just go ahead and give me a tap, and we'll get right on it. Big, big thank you to Gooey Breeder for taking the time to chat with us again. Also, thank you as always, Team OGS, 420 Australia, CTNL, best in the game at what they do respectively. Thanks to the Patreon fans. You guys are the MVPs as always. More content coming their way soon. We'll see you.